Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 39 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. I'm here. I'm Trevor Dame. I'm half of the party, but as always, bringing up the rear with the chips and the dip, it's Matt Feuerstein. Matt, what kind of chip would you bring to a party? Boy, if you know anybody who knows me, and I'm going to tell Albert Ching to listen to this um, to this <laughs> podcast. Boy, do I love dip. It's one of my favorite things. Um, salsa is a classic. I really like salsa. Um, but, you know, you, you can't go wrong with a good seven-layer dip either. You ever have one of those? Uh, I've only gone up to five. I can't take seven. All right, they, the Taco Bell has a seven-layer burrito. I have not had one of those in many, many years. But it has all the layers that you could want. So many layers. Here's a crazy fact, Matt. I have had Taco Bell, I think, twice in my life. Yeah, I, I mean, I had it a decent amount when I was in college, but n- maybe once since then, and for anyone who's uh, wondering, I graduated college 14 plus years ago. I'm very sad. Very old. Joe Gagney, how sad are you, and how often have you been to Taco Bell? Uh, I just had my 20th college reunion, so much, much sadder. And I actually went into a Taco Bell during WrestleMania weekend because there was one nearby a collection of shows I was attending and everything looked terrible. I just got a soda. So yes, they talk, Taco Bell is famous for their soda. <laughs> it was a good soda. Well, they actually do have the, uh, the Baja Blast Mountain Dew. So you were accidental. If you were trying to be snide, Matt, but wow. you were accidentally correct. Wow. I, what do I know? <laughs> just a big old. You don't know about Baja Blast. Big old 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 man. But you do know about Ring of Honor, which thank God because we're a Ring of Honor podcast. And yes, in case my incredible long-winded introduction did not let you know, Joe Gagney, the Boston correspondent, is here of five-star match game fame, of Joe versus the World fame, of Joe Gagney Funtime Arcade fame. So as always, Joe, great to have you here to cover Ring of Honor. Oh, thank you. And uh, I'm debating whether I should tell Trevor I don't subscribe to his Patreon. I don't want that to come. I'm sure he knows customers, but I want to get that on the open. I feel bad about it. But uh, but, but, but Joe, 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 if you feel, makes you feel any better, I absolutely do not either. <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably even more awkward. Yeah, actually, yeah. Um, I guess I should. I was debating if I was either going to plug it on this, but this is usually where we plug Pro Wrestling Only, the podcast network we are part of, which is a great free thing full of great hours and like literally probably in the thousands of hours of entertainment on the feed now all for free if you want to pay five dollars a month for something that isn't entertaining that's where my patreon comes in because within the last since between the last episode of this podcast and this one i have started a patreon doing something i did years ago that had a weird cult following which is I read um, some of the most angry, kind of deceitful, crazy um, TNA message boards, and I uh, comment. I I I come up. I clip the best or worst, depending on what you think. Things they say, and I try to comment on them in humorous and hopefully insightful ways. Some people like it. Most of the people closest to me go, "What the fuck are you doing with your life and your time?" But if you want to do that, I put up something every day. I've done it for over a month now, at uh, Patreon.com/slash/MeccaMecca, and Mecca is spelled M-E-C-C-A. So that twice in a row. No spaces. That is 
$5 a month gets you everything, plus everything I've done in the past. It's Mecca Mecca, so if you are a devout Muslim, you're going to love it. You have to go there twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, again, do not – I, I want to make clear, no one else here has any affiliation with this dumb thing. If you don't like something I do, it's all on me. Most people tried to talk me out of this dumb thing. Um, this It doesn't affect through the years. It will always be my baby. It, I will never charge for my baby. And, uh, yeah, don't feel like you have to subscribe to it just because you like this show. Only if you want to do – only if you feel like that would possibly be worth your time do you even have to – show a bare interest in it but i have to say i have to say the so um the one thing that's like that i really like was surprised by when i first heard that you um were doing this was just there are still tna message boards oh yeah there's uh, multiple ones and uh we're not in the heyday of tna mecca but we are definitely still a lot of those same posters are still around and still saying really horrible things and i'm still talking about them the circle just continues the difference is now it helps me pay my internet bill so it's a symbiotic relationship but now that that's out of the way i think we can get into the meat of what i've actually been really missing this has been a little bit longer than usual between episodes matt took a bit of a vacation i moved which held up things so I'm just actually really looking forward to getting back into doing this. So before we get to today's Ring of Honor show, let's cover a bit of the news that happened between the shows. I got a few little things from the Ring of Honor Newswire, and the first one was on May 1st. They wrote, Jimmy Rave will not be on the May 15th show now. Rave might be one of the guys in danger of losing his spot with the influx of new talent. So I'm just bringing this up because Ring of Honor, this was one of the angles they were actually building up through their website, the idea of, oh, you know, Jimmy Rave is kind of, you know, he's not impressing, he's not getting over, and he's done in the company. And then, of course, he'd be relaunched as the leader of um, the embassy. Uh, Matt, I actually, I don't I don't think you were following Ring of Honor super heavy at the time, but I kind of took this, like, I think seriously at the time. Like, like yeah, I guess Jimmy Rave maybe is on his way out of Ring of Honor. It seems like Dave did, too. It seems like Gabe was, like, working Dave on this, to because, um, you know, he didn't want to spoil the big Jimmy Rave surprise that he had coming <laughs> up. And I, and I joke about that, but clearly it ended up being, like, a very successful um, thing. So, you know, maybe it was good that they hit it. I don't know. But I guess it, it probably I – mean, we'll find out. It probably wasn't that successful immediately, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. The power of toilet paper is what saved Jimmy Rave's career. Um, I, th- I think he got over before that because it the, the, was the punk feud, really, I think, that did it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to re- revisiting that because those are really beloved by the people. I mean, they're not like the things that every – the easy match that everyone refers to, but the people that remember that match, those matches really love that feud. Yes, um, then in May 2nd's Ring of Honor Newswire, they wrote, In a surprising move, Jay and Mark Briscoe have fired Jim Cornette as their manager since they lost the tag titles in Chicago. Cornette has sent word to the Ring of Honor offices that while he is busy with OVW's summer schedule, as well as personal commitments, he will not forget this, and we will see him back when we least expect it. I thought this was interesting just in the sense where, watching the last couple shows, Matt, we've seen Ring of Honor been pretty definitive on christopher daniels like you'll you know he's done in ring of honor for good where it feels like with jim Cornette, they were they it seems judging from this they kind of already had an idea that like yeah he has to leave right now because the heat like wwe kind of discouraged him from showing up but 
you get the feeling that the fact they're already setting up his return that they knew that if everything just cools down in a few months, he'll be right back. And he was. Yeah, and also the idea that he'll return when you least expect it. Wouldn't it be surprising if he returned now to Ring of Honor and feuded with the Briscoes? <laughs> it's only I mean, it's been more. It's only been what fifteen and a half years. Honestly, like this is the he's like the most vital he's been as a commentator in like 30 years at this point in his or 20 at least. Yeah, honestly, I they mean, could probably do worse buzz-wise than to bring him back right now. I mean, I don't know if I would tune in every week, but I would definitely give me like a what the f I'm going to watch this the first week out of curiosity moment. Yeah. Oh, I've seen him a lot in MLW and he's putting guys over who you know he he just hates. Guys he's, he doesn't like and he's very good at it, so He's like the reverse Jim Ross now where he's like surprising you by how going with the flow he is when he does commentary where Jim Ross is, is like, you know, every single pet peeve JR has nowadays because he is telling you as he is watching it on the show he is paid to commentate on. So I just would have said he was good. That makes him the reverse Jim Ross. Oh, <laughs> controversial statement nowadays. Uh, is it <laughs> a little less? Con- it? I think a, I would say a little less controversial every day. Like as as time passes. Mm-hmm. Um, the May sixth, the Ring of Honor Newswire had uh, them talk about Ricky Steamboat has emerged as a leader in Ring of Honor's locker room as he frequently gives advice to the younger wrestlers. Steamboat has told Ring of Honor officials that John Walters is someone that really impresses him, especially Walters' arm drags. Uh, I, I definitely believe, cause I've heard wrestlers say that J- Ricky Steamboat, like helped them a lot. In fact, during the, uh, punk Joe trilogy later this year, we will have actual quotes from them about specific ideas they took from him for those matches. But I wonder if he really singled out John Walters or they just wanted to give John Walters some rub here. Cause I mean, John Walters is okay. He has some okay arm drags. I don't know if that's the thing that really would stand out to me if I was watching a Ring of Honor show. Nope. Nope, it wouldn't. I can, I can vouch for this. His arm <laughs> drags then, are not memorable arm drags. And then finally we have a, uh, from a little further ahead in time, Mark Nolte. This is, Mark, this is a little bit of Ring of Honor history. Mark Nolte's very first Ring of Honor show as announcer was this show. The Newswires at the time described it as he would make his Ring of Honor announcer debut on the... 515 and 522 home releases. Nulty brings a wealth of technical and historical wrestling knowledge to the broadcast booth. I thought I thought at this point I'd get your guys' opinion. I got some things to say about Mark as the show goes on, but I would note there's some pretty divergent opinions online looking back at his work here. Uh, Bruce Mitchell really liked Mark Nulty's work. He thought it made the commentary better. Here's what Wade Keller said from the very same show, which was this one. Um, Mark Nolte was a bit dry on commentary. He seemed to be positioned as an expert, but he didn't bring anything to commentary that stood out. Ring of Honor has discerning fans, and they don't want to be talked to by someone who takes themselves as seriously as Nolte seemed to. He didn't feel as hip as Ring of Honor is. He wasn't as he wasn't bad, and he sounded more professional than Doug Gentry used to on color, but the commentary was less irreverent and fun than usual. It felt too formal and stodgy. Lovey's enthusiasm helps most of the time, and in this case, he was wise not to declare any match of the year candidates. So do you guys have going back and listening to this? This was keep in mind this was Mark's very first Ring of Honor show commentating. So he I think he deserves some leeway just for that. But what did you think? Do you guys have any impressions of Mark's 
commentary looking back on it. I'll just say I thought I I think they're both kind of right in a way that you know I think that I've heard a lot of terrible independent commentary and this was a lot better than a lot of that. I mean he he had some flubs you know. It, I thought it was a big upgrade over Doug. I thought, you know, I, it was fine. Like he had some fun banter with Gabe at, uh, or sorry, whoever Chris Lovey at, uh, at times, but, uh, no, this was not like out of this world superlative commentary, but it was, you know, it was perfectly acceptable in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, my opinion on Nolte based on hearing this was pretty much the same as it's always been. Like even from memory, I definitely agree with Gabe. I mean, uh, with Wade that he is not hip, <laughs> does not sound hip, but I also don't think that, ROH commentary ever was hip. Um, you know, like, there's probably commentary out there that's hip. Maybe, like, Excalibur uh, during PWG to an extent. There's some hipness there, some other stuff. Like, ROH commentary was always super nerdy. Um, and, you know, back in the early days, it was super annoying. And this wasn't either of that. He did seem to take himself seriously. but he, and, and I do think, like, his voice maybe didn't match the tone of the product. Like, you know, like, you know, kind of like there was almost like a an elder statesman-esque quality to him. I don't know how old he was when uh, these uh, these shows were being recorded, but I didn't mind that much. I think he he did add a little bit of professionalism and knowledge to things. Um, I think I think he was valuable for a short time for them, and that's all they had him for. So worked out, I guess. Um, I'm just trying to look up Mark's age now. Um, Mark, Mark, tragically, he passed away from lung cancer uh, three years ago in 2016. And I'm looking here; it appears in 2016 when he passed away, he was 55 only. So that so he was so he was so he's like 44, I guess. Yeah. When he's early to mid 40s, yeah. So So, I mean, he definitely comes across as being like older than that (laughs) uh, in the uh, in the commentary. You know, he sounds like kind of like just like he's been through the wars. Um, But I guess you could be like that when you're in your 40s. I don't know. I guess as I get older, like into my late 30s, I just see 40 as much younger than I used to see it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. So I was uh, thinking that today, too. Like the older I get, the like the 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 more important every year feels right well as i was show, as i was saying earlier to you the, the one way to make myself feel young is to watch like arn anderson videos from when he was my age or younger where he seems like he's 20 years older than i am so like that always makes me feel young see it's going to go in reverse though when you start comparing yourself to like 50 year old arn anderson who still looks like 20 year old arn anderson like it works both ways with arn right he's well like, right arn anderson yeah, he's like what, like almost about like sixty, sixty one now, right around there. I think he was. I think his birthday was yesterday. Hmm. Happy birthday, uh, Arn Anderson. Yes. Uh, hope you have a good time shampooing a moose or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. Let me just go to my notes. So, yeah, for my opinion on Mark. I, I have some things to say during the show, but uh, we've heard far worse on commentary. Um, he definitely is a throwback announcer in his style. He's trying to focus on certain kind of old school things. And I do feel like he feels maybe slightly out of touch with the scene in some ways. And I feel like that's really important. Well, he, he had to be, or he had to be told by Gabe during the show that ROH doesn't have countouts. Yeah. Multiple times. And so stuff like that, I, I do want my announcer to feel like they're as big a fan of the scene they're in as I am and that they're as, as knowledgeable, if not more knowledgeable than me about it. And you didn't get that feeling about Mark. I think just the nuts and bolts of what he was saying for the most part was perfectly good, solid stuff. Um, 
In terms of being cool, I do feel like, yeah, he, his image didn't quite fit Ring of Honor. I agree. But I don't, like, on the list of things I want from my commentators in wrestling, like, I don't need them to be cool. Like, that's very low on the list. No, like, but, but, but I, you know, like, CM Punk, like, did have an air of, like, coolness to him, I suppose, when he was on commentary. His, like, references and stuff. Like, I... I'm just thinking my class, like, I wouldn't consider Jim Ross cool. I wouldn't consider, you know, Gorilla Monsoon from my childhood cool. And that didn't, like, you know, when I was a kid growing up, it was an old, fat, bald man, Gorilla Monsoon, calling a, some the event a happening every 30 seconds. And that wasn't cool, and I still thought the show was great, and I still loved Gorilla Monsoon when I was a little kid. So Yeah, Gorilla Monsoon mostly just, like, I mean, I, lo- I loved him, too. He was, like, a wrestling dad. Um, someone should make a drop board using his quotes, but, um, <laughs> oh, that messes up your audio. I wouldn't, <laughs> I almost lost shows because of that. By the way, Gordon Soley, the Miles Davis of wrestling commentary. I think we can all agree. Yes, I can agree <laughs> with that. But, um, but Gorilla Monsoon, like, you know, mostly just like vaguely racist comments, <laughs> but, um, I mean, vaguely. So oh, it true. really was fair, like fair my enough. dad. Then. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I shouldn't be laughing at that. That's okay. Um, so yeah, that brings us to the show we're going to cover today, which is the round Robin challenge three. It took place May 15th, 2004 at the national guard armory in Lexington, Massachusetts from a reported crowd of 500 fans. Uh, we'll go to the pro wrestling torch for some little little bit of news on why it took place there because the torch wrote earlier in the month due to the mobilization of the unit at the national guard armory in Braintree, the United States national guard has been forced to move the May 15th ring of honor show to the national guard armory in Lexington, Massachusetts. All tickets for the Braintree show will be honored in Lexington. The building move only affects the 15th show. Um, Joe, did you remember anything? Did you attend the show? And if so, did you remember anything about having to move to the National Guard Army? That's the other thing about this show, too, is multiple comments from live reports saying that the heat and humidity in this building was, according to Mike Johnson, insanely stifling, unquote. Do you remember any of this? Yes, and you can tell what you can see the sweat flying off the wrestlers throughout the show, even though it was only, yeah. It was only May. I, I just remember the, the the show, the next one in Braintree in August was that one was just like that. Remember, I remember that as one of the hottest wrestling shows I've ever been, meaning temperature wise. Uh, yeah, no, it was just like you know, I was just so used to <laughs> ROH events taking place in a different town every time. This didn't really phase me at all. And I believe this one was scheduled to be a double header with Steve Carino's World One Wrestling, it- which got canceled. I I'm guessing because of the. Uh, controversy at the time which you've gone into in such elaborate detail but that show never ended up taking place i don't know if they ever ran another show to be honest but that was uh what i remember most about lexington besides it being hot i also remember the men's room was right next to the the locker room so you know when you're in line you can hear wrestlers talking about their uh matches and whatnot i remember devito just coming out in a towel at one point and just like i don't know talking on his phone or something so th- these are, <laughs> these, are my, these are my memories i will never uh be rid of yum wait what did I, I did i say did i say that out loud um but no i'm um, gross but we love him anyway as a sign would say later on yeah, i was gonna say, I, I was gonna feel bad for body shaming devito but judging by his reaction later uh he he gets he would he would get a big kick out of it I think next uh, and the next show also gets messed up because of National Guard mobilization you know it's funny because like you know the ROH lost a lot of you know some buildings over the scandal that was going on uh, you know 
during this whole time. But the National Guard, they were all about it. Instead of Gen <laughs> X, they should have been the National Guard and say they were responsible for all these uh, building movements. <laughs> and uh, there, there was a few firsts on this show, too. Like um, Bobby Cruz, this was his first show as Ring of Honor's official ring announcer. Although I don't know if it was technically like a regular thing at this point. He, obviously, he had made his debut earlier as Steve Carino's personal ring announcer for his gimmicks of the long intros. But Mike Johnson reported for this show that Bobby Cruz wor- worked as ring announcer as regular Ring of Honor announcer Steven DeAngelis missed the show due to a family commitment. Yeah, so, DeAngelis De- would be around for a while longer, but it's still an historic moment that it's the first show that he ring announces and he's still doing it. Yeah, and uh, obviously it, he was on their mind as a guy who... When, for whatever reason, they changed, you know, he was the go-to guy. And, yeah, like you said, he's been there forever since. Speaking of which, uh, speaking of which, this is also the first, I think, maybe I'm wrong, I think it might be the first show that Todd Sinclair referees the main event. I'm uh, not sure about that. There, I don't know, honestly. Like, my memory for the, for those kind of details is horrible. You're probably right. I, I'm going to go uh, back and look, but I think it was the first one that I noticed anyway. There uh, And like Joe said, this was originally supposed to be a doubleheader show with World One, but all Dave says in The Observer is the World One show was canceled earlier in the week by promoter Steve Carino. This also, because of all the fallout from all the card shakeups from the TNA talent being pulled, what we're going to about to review was not the original card. I don't know every match that was changed, but I do know from ring of honor website announcements at the time we were originally supposed to see amazing red versus mark briscoe and we were also originally supposed to see i'll just read this direct from the ring of honor website in a shocking development the second city saints of cm punk and colt cabana have come to terms with ring of honor world champion samoa joe to form a team on may 15th in braintree massachusetts this now gives ring of honor the most loaded main event ever as the prophecy of christopher daniels dan moff and bj whitmer with allison danger will take on ring of honor world champion samoa joe and the second city saints of punk and cabana with tracy brooks the legendary ricky the dragon steamboat returns to boston and will be guest referee so yeah um i actually it's funny that that was sold as the big most loaded main event in ring of honor history Joe, do you remember anything else that was changed on the card? Or, I mean, that's a lot to ask. This is 15 years ago, but yeah, no, I don't. As far as I knew, this was this card we saw was what was presented to begin with. So, no, originally it was supposed to be another. Basically, I guess they thought that battle lines are drawn did really well, so this was going to be their version, their way of upping the ante with a rematch. You throw Joe in there, but we did not get that. Um, Sean Radikin was there live. This is the final note before we get to the show. Sean Radikin from The Torch wrote, Several people had to stand because there were no bleachers and the available folding chairs that surround the ring were filled. The building had to be at least 100 degrees inside, but that didn't deter from the energy level present in the building. Shortly before the show began, the crowd began banging on the metal barriers that surround the ring in anticipation of the first match. I've been to a countless number of events presented by WWE and WCW, but the passion of Ring of Honor fans far surpasses anything I've ever experienced at a live event. I just like that this was the novelty back when fans pounding on the metal ring barriers was still something like worthy of a note and impressive, like when it just became very quickly commonplace. Well, yeah, also, this, if this, that makes it sound like this was Radikin's first ever ROH show, and that would probably leave an impression on you for the, if, it was, if you didn't know it was something that was done, you know what I mean? 
I, I'm not sure if this is his first, but the, definitely still probably one of his earlier live event probably, uh, attendances. And that brings us to what we actually saw on the DVD. We open with Allison Danger, Dan Moth, and BJ Whitmer backstage. Allison says it's with a heavy heart that she has to say that Christopher Daniels may never wrestle again in Ring of Honor. She says that the prophecy remains in contact with him, though, and he continues to guide them. Uh, Danger says their goals tonight are to win the Ring of Honor tag team titles and destroy the Second City Saints. Moth then does his usual scream-slash-whisper-style promo. He says one of the Saints won't be walking home tonight, so... I think that's pretty nice of him because then he's leaving one of them to walk home. So it's nice he's only going halfway there. Uh, just kind of a standard Second City Saints promo. I mean, uh, Prophecy promo. I don't think I have anything else to say about it. Do you guys? Nope. Yeah. Sure don't. Um, elsewhere before the show, Sugar Sean Price is back with a plain clothes wearing Prince Nana. Nana walks to the ring as the ring crew express and the outcast killers are setting it up. Nana tells the outcast killers that they can leave the ring crew because they have Nana's support now. He says they'll even go to Japan under him. The killers are very happy to take this offer, and they go to leave him when Loke leave with him when Loke and DeVito interrupt them to ask, you guessed it, did they crap in the Carnage Crew's bags? Uh, Nana does not want the killers being interrogated. And then there's this funny little moment where DeVito tells Nana he suspects that the killers crapped in their bags. And Oman Tatuga says in the background, just quietly, what, we look dirty? Like, like he's personally offended by this. Um, Loke challenges them to a three-on-two handicap match tonight. And uh, Nana says, even better, he'll throw in a mystery partner. So then the crew immediately recruits the nearby Dunn and Marcos to be their partners. And we have an impromptu eight on eight. I mean, a four on four. <laughs> it, didn't, it did not get even bigger. We get a four on four eight man tag for later tonight. Now, it's, there, there was, I mean, this, this segment, honestly, it wasn't bad. Like, it was kind of entertaining, um, kind of silly. But it's funny to me that they're like, okay, so how do we kick off this DVD? What's the first big angle of the night? And, like, this is what they go to. It's like, the, let, let's, let's get the, uh, the Outcast Killers and the Ring Crew Express and Prince Nana, who's, really barely had any screen time over the past year in there. It just seems like a, f- a funny way to uh, get the ball rolling on this show. But I, I am, uh, I'll just say, I am delighted that people just say uh, crapping in bags. Like it's, you know, it's not strange at all. Like it's anything you see at a wrestling show, like <laughs> stealing a title belt or uh, outside interference. Like everyone, the carnage crew, the commentator is just talking about crapping in bags. The only one who real, the only one who was incredulous about it was CM Punk. He was on commentary in the last show. He was just like, what are you even talking about? Well, we'll get to it later, but Mark Nolte is not amused with the crafting in the bag line, the, the vulgarity of it. But, <laughs> Matt, what, what, you were, what you were saying before, one thing I really like, even though this is an example of how Ring of Honor took it to a pretty dedicated level, but I actually really missed this in wrestling, is that Gabe would go out of his way to explain, like, why matches were happening. Like they couldn't just have an impromptu eight man tag, just have an impromptu eight man tag. Like they had to show you the entire little backstage angle they created to justify it. Well, they also, they also had to show the formation of the embassy, which is like, this is the big moment, right? Xavier's gone. So like now they've, this is, this is the big moment that the outcast kill has joined the embassy. Like later in the show on commentary, Gabe actually like goes out of his way to explain why Josh Daniels is wrestling two matches on this show. So it's just little stuff like that where I feel so many wrestling promotions now do not go that extra, not even a mile, that extra five feet to just be like, this is why this is happening. 
It's just, oh, here's wrestling. We're a wrestling company. Here's the matches. They're random. You don't care. And I, I think I think that's I, a good I think that's a good slogan though for any wrestling company. Here here's wrestling. Yeah. We're a wrestling company. <laughs> I think that'd be like if Orange Cassidy broke out as a promoter. That would be like just here's the matches. Whatever you don't care. That would just be like the official slogan. Yes, but uh, but I like the verbiage. Here's wrestling. We're a wrestling <laughs> company. I'm trying to think which promotion would best fit that nowadays. Might honestly be Ring of Honor. <laughs> mm. You'd have to add, like, here's wrestling, you don't care, we don't care. Um, Anyway, we cut to another little quick backstage spot where we join Colt Cabana mid-delivery as he is making a public service announcement about curing gingivitis. He then finishes and CM Punk comes in. Colt's wearing a old Paul London Ring of Honor t-shirt, by the way, which I just, for some reason, really amused me. Uh, Punk is mad that Colt is still focusing on the goofy stuff. So this is every Second City Saints promo. And in maybe most in the guys, maybe the most shocking twist in Ring of Honor history, Gabe says, and I quote, we're still rolling guys from behind the camera. Yes. After like a hundred promos where they did the old, the camera is still rolling, but no one's aware of it. Gimmick. The cameraman actually says, guys, just be aware. We're still rolling. This is a huge Ring of Honor. Truly is reborn just for that fact alone. <laughs> maybe he meant um, that. Maybe he meant that he was still on like um, drugs. <laughs> you're trying to take away my joy, Matt. No, Do he's not... trying to add different kinds of joy to it. <laughs> um, Punk then cuts a promo. He talks about winning the Ring of Honor tag titles. He says Ring of Honor management doesn't see them as market as a marketable tag team. And then Punk talks about how his persona doesn't sell a lot of t-shirts, which in hindsight, like considering that years later, Punk would be like, yeah, I'm the first guy to outsaw John Cena in merchandise in WWE. And he had like some incredibly popular, I mean, that white CM Punk t-shirt right after he did the big money in the bank angle. I remember that being like one of the probably one of the most popular T-shirts in wrestling of the last five ten years. Well, definitely not the last five years. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Jeez, my, my sense of time all but, off. But, but probably, anyway. but probably the last like fifteen. I think probably. Definitely like the the individual. I mean, I know guys like the Bucks have a lot of shirts, but in terms of just like a specific shirt, I keep seeing. Yeah, it's not close to Austin three sixteen or NWO shirts, but. It's the one I've seen the most since then, probably, I'd say. I also like that this segment implied that, like, ROH was doing PSAs about gingivitis, and they asked Colt Cabana to do one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What does that say? Like, just brush your teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Shouldn't they they should have saved this then for years later when, like, Necro Butcher or someone is there just like, look at me, this is what happened when I didn't brush, and then just... (laughs) Well, maybe it's a, maybe it's a PSA. Maybe it's a PSA about like being nice to people who have gingivitis, because that can't. That's not always an easy task, you know. But they it's the you silent know, shame. Yeah, it's, it's right. They have to suffer in silence. It's silent because they can't open their mouths, because then everyone would see they had gingivitis. So um, sad. Continuing this promo, Punk is not happy that Ring of Honor is bringing Ricky Steamboat back as the troubleshooting ref. He says Ricky should have stayed in the museum where he belongs. He says it's not fair for Steamboat to ref their matches when he hates them. But he says tonight there will be no troubleshooting referee. He says they're going 2-0 tonight. So standard, solid punk promo here. And 
after that, that takes us to the opening match because, yes, tonight is the third ever round robin challenge, and I believe the final round robin challenge, at least under Gabe Sapolsky. I, maybe, for all I know, Ring of Honor had like a random one on a small show in like 2015, but in, in my mind, this is the third and final round robin challenge. This time, for the first time ever, it was the, a title on the line in the matches, it was the tag titles. And so match one in the round robin challenge opened the show. The prophecy of BJ Whitmer and Dan Moff def- with Alice in Danger defeated the Second City Saints of CM Punk and Colt Cabana via pinfall in six minutes, 51 seconds when Whitmer pinned Cabana after the wrist clutch exploder. This uh, this was the prophecy of winning the tag titles, and we'd see two more tag title changes tonight. Matt, what did you think about this match? Not too long, but... Yeah, I thought a way to kick off the show. Yeah, I thought it was a good way to kick off the show. Um, it was a hot start. Um, you know, Punk basically like hits Whitmer with a shining wizard. You know, while he still has his jacket on, so that's I think a you know you could say it's a hot start. And like the Moffs, you know, dominating Punk in the ring, Cabana and Whitmer brawling on the outside. I noticed like over time, I don't know which show it is, but there's an issue where Nolte mispronounces Cabana's name. He calls him Cabana, and Punk makes fun of him for it later. But on this show. To start, he's come, he's pronouncing Cabana's name correctly, so I wonder what uh, what led to that change. I want like somebody must have told him like it's Cabana, and they messed them all up. Got punk mad at him. I don't know what's going on, but um, yeah, this was like a wild brawl through the crowd. Uh, Whitmer's belly to bellying punk into the crowd. Um, at one point, Nolte says that Whitmer might be the as hot as any wrestler in the promotion right now, which I I can't imagine what that's based on because. <laughs> Nothing has happened to suggest that at any of the shows that we've watched. Am I right about that? I mean, if you want to talk about win-loss record, I I was going to note, looking back at the results for the double shot we covered in the last two shows, the Reborn Stage 1 and Stage 2, almost everyone went 50-50 on that weekend, and the two guys that didn't, I think, were BJ Whitmer and Samoa Joe. So I guess in that sense, to get two... But in terms of, like, the actual vibe of things... Yeah, he is. He's just BJ Whitmer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's just BJ Whitmer. It's funny because this is like a tornado match. Basically, there's no tags. Like it never settles down. And Gabe's like, "Don't worry, the the other round robin challenge matches will not be like this." And that kind of stuff bothers me because it's like, how how do you know? Like this wasn't supposed to be like this either, right? (laughs) Like that. Like that's like just the sort of stuff where it's like just weird. Um. We have, I guess this is like the most violence against women we get for the night, which I guess by ROH standards is light, right? Like, Danger attacks Punk. Um, and while she's attacking him, Gabe says that Punk's a lucky guy, which, okay. Um, and Punk just and Punk grabs her by the hair, but then Moff spears Punk before he can, like, do any more intense attack on her. It doesn't get any more violent than that for the rest of the night, does it? Am I wrong? No, that 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 is the only man-on-woman violence, although, as usual... Important to note, there aren't many. Alice in Danger also might have been the only woman on this show. So no, about Becky Bayless was there. Oh yeah, Becky Bayless. So okay, she yeah, she had other kinds of violence imparted onto her during this <laughs> during this uh, DVD. Um, but so so the big the big spot is the Saints try to run, and Dolty's like, oh, they'd rather take the count out than lose the titles. And of course, we cringe because we know there's no count outs in ROH. Um, but then Ricky Steamboat appears and he uh, forces them back into the ring and. They they back all the way in until Moff uh, until Moff topes both of them. Uh, Whitmer hits the wrist class exploder on exploder excuse me on Cabana to win the belts, 
And um, I thought it was sufficiently wild. It wasn't like a great match, but I think it's a smart way to have a fast-paced, fast-paced brawl to start the show. And, um, you know, Steamboat's involvement made it entertaining. I thought it was pretty good, uh, enjoyable. Um, Gabe claimed that Steamboat changed the momentum, but the prophecy were, I thought, pretty dominant for the whole match. It's like they were, they were in charge for most of it. Um, so I don't know if it changed the momentum, but it definitely made the match more memorable. I don't know. I give well, the match. I to leave the ring. Yeah, I give the match a thumbs up, and uh, yeah, nothing, nothing too great. But I think I think a smart choice to have a match like this. Um, Joe, what did you think? Uh, to me, like they said, it was pretty much a tornado tag match, and they, <clears throat> you know, they kind of did away with the structure of a normal tag match. But to me, it wasn't quite exciting enough or long enough to make up for it. They kind of just went back and forth a bit, and they did like two, you know the second city saints walked to the back the first time Whitmer and Moff like got him and dragged him back. But the second time they're just like, ah, oh, I guess they're going away. And that brought Ricky steamboat. out, which I thought was weird. There was a lot of action, but just kind of a little too short. And when I, you know, I remember live at the time that first title change, it's like, Oh, they're just going to change the belts three times. And we'll end up back where we started, which is what happened. I think it, it would have made more sense if they said, whichever team wins the round Robin challenge becomes the champions. And if it's a tie, the second city saints keep the belts and they could have done the same format throughout the night. I think that would have made a bit more sense than kind of three random title changes, which I guess they did because so much of the card got changed around. Yeah. That, that's a pretty smart call. That's a good point. Actually, Joe says something that I, well, I was saving for later. I'm just grabbing it now, but Dave Meltzer uh, voiced very similar sentiments when he was going over the results in the observer. He wrote, the show was built around a round-robin series where the tag titles changed hands three times. I think it may have been better to do something where they did the round-robin and announced the team with the best record would be champs, and then, with all three teams winding up one and one, say the champs retained the title at the end. Three title changes for the same belt in one night cheapens title changes, and after the first one, you knew in the second one you'd have a second one, or the main event of the show would be meaningless. So... I'm going to say I absolutely agree with the point Dave and Joe made, which is it, it do, when you have a title change in the first of three matches, it telegraphs that there's going to be two more or at least one more title change. But the one thing I, I do not agree with, I don't think it would have been a satisfying end to the show, is if you did the round robin challenge with no title changes and just said, one, one, no one gets anything like that. That's a little blah. In my opinion, I also yeah, like th- this did have the ending that kind of had everyone going nuts, which we would have made up for in this case. Yeah, I like. OK, so I and I get what Dave is saying there, but also like did this really hurt the ROH tag team titles in the long run? Like, did it, you know, like did it really cheapen them? I, I don't know. Like I if it was this was sort of thing that was being done a lot. Yes. But this one night, I don't think it made any difference at all. Yeah, yeah, well, they, they went through that whole thing where the belts were changing hands constantly and the Briscoes had that long run and then you had that very memorable world title change in Chicago and then it was just kind of back to the usual shenanigans, it felt like. It, did it mean a lot in the whole run? Not really, but it, it just seemed silly. And it was Gabe trying to show parody and it was him trying to set up future matches for all these teams because we'd see in the next few months there'd be another, I believe, Saints-Briscoes match and we'd see more Saints-Prophecy matches. But... um. I think it's also just probably, if I had to guess, like this show, it lost some impact talent and this, you know, this wasn't the original plan and he's probably just thinking like, what can I give these people to make them feel like 
they've got a good show. And a common wrestling trope through for decades is if you have to change the card, change a title on the show then. So the fans feel like they got something. Now, do I think many fans that night probably were like, wow, we saw the cha- titles change three ha- or uh, three times and they ended up on the exact same peel the show night started with. I don't know if that really justifies your ticket price if you didn't already like the show. But I think it is kind of just classic wrestling booking to be like, if we change things, this is a way we can kind of say, see, you know, you didn't get what you originally bought the show for, but you got something, you know, history was made, quote unquote. So they, they did, they did use it for character development a little bit, though, because it's sort of by the end of the show, the fact that the prophecy won those belts was Moff's justification for being like, I can't stand BJ Whitmer, but we did something good together, so I'm going to stick it through for the prophecy. Like they did try to turn it and turn, you know, at least advance a character with the title change. That's actually a great point too, because if you think about it with Daniel's gone, they needed a reason for Moff and Whitmer to stay together because the whole idea was Daniel's was this charismatic leader that kept these two guys that hate each other on the same page. Well, if Daniel's is gone, what reason do they have to be to, to be together? And so actually that, like you said, the timing of this is perfect because then it's like, Oh, we realize we might hate each other, but we just won our first Ring of Honor title ever together, so we now have a reason. We've proven that we actually can be very successful if we kind of put our heads together on this. So, yeah, again, that, again, another example of like the attention to detail that when I when Ring of Honor is at its best, it really did make sure that little things like that that a lot of companies would just gloss over and go, oh, you, you'll come up as at home with a with a reason in your head. Ring of Honor would go like, no, we'll give you a reason why this is should still be happening. Right. But as for the match, I agree. It was with you, Matt. I, I think I'm more on the Matt side than the Joe side in terms of just, I enjoyed this a fair bit. It wasn't too long. It wasn't that long, but I think it's just a quick way to get the crowd engaged. Um, I thought punk took a big belly to belly bump into the crowd. Um, Mark Nolte's commentary, like you already mentioned, he didn't know what that there were no counts in Ring of Honor. He called the Second City Saints the Second City Angels and had to be corrected by Gabe. Um, there was also a moment where Dan Moff is going for the cannonball, and uh, Nolte says, if he hits this, it could be all over. And I don't think a single Ring of Honor match has ever ended with a cannonball. It, it just it, just a bunch of little things where, again, it wasn't painful to listen to Mark, but clearly just from match one, you can tell he doesn't know a ton about the way Ring of Honor is. Like the, early in the middle of this match that didn't go, that went like seven minutes, he's saying something like, these two teams have suffered offense that often ends matches. And it was like, no, they really haven't. But you know, he's trying to put things over without really knowing what the world of Ring of Honor is. But quick brawl, and I do appreciate that they're trying to make these Prophecy Second City Saints matches brawls because they should hate each other according to the storyline. They're not just doing the things some wrestling companies do where they're having this hate, supposedly hate-filled feud, and then they do like a lockup to start a match. So after the match, Ricky Steamboat raises the Prophecy's hands, including BJ Whitmer's. I wrote my notes. Ricky, BJ tried to murder a woman a few months ago. Like, <laughs> come on, man. Don't don't be that forgiving. Um, it did kind of steal the Prophecy's thunder a little bit because the crowd was chanting for Ricky Steamboat and not them. But who even knows at this point if the Prophecy is supposed to be faces or heels? Um, I guess they're supposed to be faces because Steamboat's raising their hands. But this stuff is always so confusing. 
Um, the prophecy then head to the back, and Ricky poses for the crowd when Punk attacks him from behind. Steamboat fires back with chops until Colt comes in. They make it a two-on-one beatdown. Gabe says this is disgusting, and we have to get out of here. And so we cut mid-beatdown to the prophecy backstage celebrating. Uh, Dan Moff sells being in tears. I don't know if he was getting real tears out or not, but he was certainly trying to. He says it's been two years of hard work for him, but he finally has a title. He says they did it for Chris. And then we cut back to In the Ring, where Steamboat is laying on a very saggy table. Punk is going to go come off the top and hit a flying leg drop on him, but the table breaks before Punk even lands on him. The leg drop lands anyway. Gabe tries to sell it as being even worse for Steamboat's back because it was, quote, at an unnatural position, unquote. So Gabe really trying to do his best here. And then Gabe says the Saints might have just retired Ricky Steamboat again. They um, cu- they cut away from that super quickly. I, I'm wondering like what happened after because they were just like – I never see them cut that quickly after a big angle like that. Well, I can tell you why they cut during it because from a live report from Mike Johnson, he wrote – Punk and Cabana attacked Steamboat in the ring after the match. They brought a table in, and it broke when they tossed it in, and they placed it in the corner, running him into it twice. They didn't get the reaction or visual they wanted, so a second table was brought in. Steamboat was placed on it. Punk went for a top-rope leg drop, but as he jumped, the table collapsed. He still hit the move and put Steamboat through the rest of the table. The other officials hit the ring, and Steamboat was helped out. They couldn't do anything to control the tables, but their lack of assistance hindered the angle, which Ring of Honor management knew and wasn't happy with. So I was wondering, watching this, why did they cut away mid-Steamboat angle to do the little prophecy promo? And then I realized, after reading this, oh, it's to create, like, a... A, a, a cutting point to cut out that first table spot because on the home release, we did not see this first table going in the ring, breaking steamboat, going into it twice in the corner, nothing like that. Got it. Uh, Joe, do you remember anything about this live or? Yeah. I remember from my show notes that that's why they, like, they had a lot of trouble with tables at this point, And that's why they kind of had that weird cut away, away from the angle to the, to the interview in the back. If only this angle was done today, they could do the much sturdier um, Home Depot door that everyone now has to use <laughs> because the tables that break. Matt, did you know this, that nowadays in indie wrestling, they stop making those tables that they've used for years. So now indie shows, when they want to break a table, has to prop up a door on uh, two ropes. No, I did not know that. That's A lot of shows the, the, now are using these cheap doors. Tables, they just don't make them anymore? Like they do not manufacture that type of table anymore? I mean, I don't have a ton of information, but I started seeing these tables, like everyone going through tables. I was like, I mean, not tables, but doors. I was like, why? And I saw someone on Twitter say that, like, they don't make that table anymore. And Fascinating. They found that these these doors are the next best thing, I guess, for this price point or whatever is these flimsy doors you can buy at, like, renovation shops or whatever. So that that's why that's happening now. But anyway, um... Second match on the show, Alex Shelley defeated Matt Stryker via pinfall in seven minutes, five seconds, with a rolling arm trap cradle. Uh, this is a rematch from Battle Lines Are Drawn, and this was supposed to be what they said was the first of a three-match best-of-three series, Matt, with uh, Alex Shelley's big thing being he says he's going to beat Stryker in two straight, and he's not even going to need a third. And one thing I thought, this is a, this is a real big sign, I think, of uh, where how quickly Matt Stryker's push has been shut off is 
he's supposed to be the face, I guess, on paper, because Shelly's acting like a heel. And the story Gabe Gibbs on commentary is, you know, Shelly said the first match, you know, he only lost that because that was the very first three rope break rule in Ring of Honor history. And if it was a regular match, it'd be a straight up win for him. And normally when you do that thing where the heel loses a match and goes, it's only because of a gimmick. That's an, it's supposed to be like, oh, the heel's just using that as an excuse and he's going to lose the second one. And it's like, nope, guess he was right about that gimmick because he wins clean here in seven minutes. But um, Joe, what did you think about this as a match? Again, second shorter match to start the show. But what'd you think about this? Yeah, I'm not. Do we know about the ending? Because it looked like I don't know if it was botched or what. Yeah, it looked counted. like Turner. Turner like hesitated on the final count, right? Yeah, he oh, yeah. counted two. So I had to count three. Stopped and counted three anyway. It was just so strange because their first match went 15, and this one went half of that. It was but, as if he was waiting for a kick out that did not come, and he was surprised by that. But then, with if you go back and look at it, it's like the wrestlers are looking at him when he holds up, almost like, "Come on, man!" Like put it down so i uh, yeah it was a really weird I, I have no idea what the story behind that is yeah to me i was i remember being super pumped because i was a big fan of alex shelley at the time and he was having great matches with people like jimmy jacobs and chris hero in the midwest and and this was just like uh, i don't know this kind of wrestled for seven minutes they did you know some cool submissions and whatnot but this really did nothing for me and i remember like Fans chanted Sonic at uh, Stryker because of his spiky haircut. And uh, <laughs> you could tell people were kind of getting tired of Stryker here. Just like, I think people knew like the Field of Honor final was a bit of a disaster, even though the, you know, the cut-up version on DVD was fine. And, and you know, this was not like a stellar intro for Shelley here. Although I will say the, you know, two out of three falls, but only needing two is, is such a Gabe kind of trope there. It's something he'd bring back later for the Briscoe brothers and two out of three full tag title defenses. But this is just kind of like, eh. But thanks, I mean, things would get much better for Shelly, but this was not much of a debut for me. Um, I, I thought uh, I thought this match was okay. It wasn't anything special. In the body of the match, it was mostly a lot of Shelly doing a bunch of his crazy, wacky submissions. It almost felt like more of a showcase for Shelly than anything else. But then... As we got closer to the end, Stryker got more offense. He did like three Germans. He hit his Death Valley driver. And I actually liked how they handled it where he hit it close to the uh, ropes and Shelly immediately rolls out to the floor and then kind of dead weights as Shelly, I mean, Stryker tries to throw him back in. And then he kicks out at the last second when he finally does get him back into the cover, which I think that's always a great way to protect a finisher and not enough guys do it where you can hit it. And still have the guy kick out, but not like ruin the integrity of the finisher. But yeah, Joe, like you said, this was a, a show where you really noticed that fans are starting to turn on Stryker because I don't think he was supposed to be a heel. He got a loud fuck you Stryker chant at one point, even though again, Alex Shelley is the heel in this match. But yeah, I mean, it, I, it, it, we're on the downslope for Matt Stryker now. And, but this match was just. Nothing special. I think their their first match, which went twice the length, was better. Matt, what did you think about it? Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with most of what you said. It's it was a, it was the definition of like a second match on the card, right? Like it was like short. It was it was yeah, like you said, a showcase for Shelley. 
Um, you could tell that Shelley was getting pushed. Besides just by winning, he um, like as soon as he got put in the sh- the striker lock, he got out of it. Like he didn't like it wasn't even a question of him like that he was almost about to tap out. So I think that kind of shows that that Shelley was was about to be uh, put pushed well over striker's position here. They also did not really make a big deal on commentary about the fact that Shelley just beat the. Uh, the field of honor champion in three straight, in two straight falls, right? Right? Like that's not. They didn't make an issue of that. Like that was supposed to be a big deal, and like they've already buried their own tournament so badly. Shelley mentions it on his promo later, but they don't actually mention it on commentary, which I thought was interesting. I think they should have made a bigger deal about that, just because since they're pushing Shelley anyway. But yeah, it, the match was not bad, but it was just so. It was just like there. And the announcer spent a lot of the time talking about the punk steamboat al- uh, angle, talking about how steamboats going to the hospital, how horrible and sad it was. Um, so that also detracted from the match a little bit. And uh, after the match, Shelley acts like a really good, like he does a really good job acting like a poor winner, not a poor loser, but a poor winner. He sell, he still sells his head from all this damage Stryker did to it, but he like gets on his knees and he asks for a handshake from Stryker and he eventually gets it. And then he holds up two fingers to symbolize he's going to beat him in two straight. So Shelley getting to show more of his charisma now, which is good because he's in line for a push where he's going to be a pretty big focal point coming up at the very next show. Um, next up, Gary Michael Capetta is backstage with the Briscoes. The Briscoes say they'll take the tag titles back. And then Jay has a message for Jim Cornette. Uh, Jay says Cornette told them he'd be in Chicago, but he wasn't. And that the Briscoes have learned everything Cornette has to teach. So now he's just taking their money. Jay says Cornette is fired. He says, we've beaten everyone Ring of Honor's put in front of us. And the two examples he gives are the Backseat Boys and then Joe and his hundred partners. I just wrote a story division. Like, <laughs> when you think about, like, the Briscoe's tag title run, like, it was most, it really was basically the Backseat Boys and a bu- Samoa Joe and a bunch of random partners, which, I mean, Joe's a great wrestler. His partners were great wrestlers, but, like... To say, like, we've beaten everybody, that calls attention to the fact when you actually think about it, like, you didn't actually beat many dedicated tag teams here. You beat the SAT on a pre-show that didn't make the regular DVD. No, this is the first time it feels like ROH actually has a um, has a tag team division or anything close yeah. to one. Um, it's funny, though, because firing Jim Cornette would get a big pop from indie wrestling fans in 2019, <laughs> much bigger than it would have in 20, 2004. <laughs> Uh, match three, uh, this is the Carnage crew of DeVito and Loke with the Ring Crew Express, Don and Marcos, defeated the embassy of Diablo Santiago, Oman Tortuga, Prince Nana, and the surprise fourth new member of the em- embassy, Josh Daniels, in 759 when Loke pinned Tortuga after he and DeVito hit him with a combination slingshot into a clothesline. So, watching this match, it's funny like I've started in my head giving matches star rings a bit more often. I always have a hard time, but when I was watching this match by the end, I was like, you know, that was a two and a half or two and three quarter star match. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. And I thought there's a lot of matches I would probably give that rating to and not be happy with them. And I think the difference is there's a lot of matches I would give a rating like that to, And they would be matches where they're trying to wrestle a four star style match with big moments. And then there's a lot of flaws happen and it kind of, becomes this okay but flawed thing where they were aiming for four and got to two and a half i feel like this match 
it was exactly what they were aiming to be. Like you watch this, they're not trying to steal the show. They're not trying to make a star in one night with this match. They're just trying to give every, all eight guys something to do and be entertaining enough. And I don't think they're aiming for anything better than this match was. And they completely hit the mark. Like, a little bit of the execution is sloppy, but there's no outright botches. And I think for a match that's only eight minutes long with eight people in it, everyone gets at least like one moment to shine, like one memorable spot, which I thought was impressive, especially because this match doesn't really break down to the final two minutes. It sticks to the tag rules pretty traditionally before then. So I actually like, I thought this was just an enjoyable eight-man tag, especially considering, you know, some of the people involved. Like, we haven't seen a ton from uh, the Outcast Killers. We haven't, you know, seen a ton of long stuff from Prince Nana. So, not nothing special, but I, I, I'm happy with what we got based on with what was on paper. Um, Matt, do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I, I agree. But there were some funny things. Um, like, I thought it was funny that all of a sudden, like, not only were Carnage Crew teaming with the Ring Crew Express, but they were, like, real chummy with them at the beginning. Like, they were all giving high fives, like, do, like jumping high fives. Like, they were just like, we're all, we're all one big family here, which was surprising to me. Like, wow, they are really baby faces now. They were also just the fact that it was an eight-man tag, and they didn't, like, cut away from the handshakes. It was just like, wow, this is so many handshakes. Because, like, every guy had to <laughs> shake the hand of every other guy. And this is when you really notice that this show was two minutes and 50, two, two hours and 50, and 50 minutes, minutes long. Yeah. Because whenever a show comes in, like, that far under the runtime, you know you're going to see, like, every second <laughs> yes. of post-match and pre-match. Which made the cutting away from the steamboat angle all the more noticeable. But yeah. Um, but yeah, lots of handshakes. This is also what you were referencing earlier where Lovey was talking about crapping in bags and Mark Nolte was like apologizing to the FCC. And I'm like, <laughs> does the FCC's jurisdiction include DVDs? I think it never did. That's They are not the public airwaves. I don't know what the equivalent is in Canada, but that is not how the FCC works. Um, even, in the, even during the Bush administration. So... Um, but, um, uh, yeah, uh, otherwise, but th- there was fun stuff here. Um, you know, DeVito's lately been taking to like doing devilish cross faces and today his victim was Oman Tortuga. Um, they also, a uh, funny spot was the Ring Crew Express made, uh, Diablo Santiago do a double air guitar. Like it was a forced air guitar, which, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how could you not like that? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I actually thought like Nana's like whole running wild on Dunn where he was like just like slamming him into the place, doing the big butt in the corner. Like Nana looked really good for that like 45 seconds of offense he had. Um, Gabe, was, Gabe was really talking about Steamboat a lot though, and he actually completely missed the fact that Tortuga spit in Marcos's face. But Nolte did not miss that. Um, after things break down with big moves, um, you know, they do the stage dives. And then the Carnage Crew won by doing – had they done this move before? It was like – a slingshot by Loke into a lariat by DeVito, and that's how uh, the Carnage crew uh, pinned Tortuga. Um, I, I ju- I, this is the first time I noticed it, and I noticed that a lot of guys on the show were doing kind of some new offense, which I thought was pretty cool. Like, I don't know. I, I, just, I noticed it a few times on the show, and this was it's one of them. Because normally they're two finishers, well, and their finisher is like the spike pile driver. I, I might have seen them do the spot before, but they never finished a match with it. And it's interesting because they even like pulled out the Carnage Plex earlier and they decided not to finish with that. And 
I'm not sure how I feel. Like, it's a cool spot, but I don't know if I how I feel about that as the finish. It was weird because they did it right near the ropes. And so Tortuga has, like, his arms pinned against his body like a, like he's in a coffin because even though he has to act like he's, like, knocked out because he doesn't want to put his arms under the rope and break up the count. So it's, like, a really awkward position for him. I felt bad for him. Now, and I didn't write much about Josh Daniels here, but not to worry because you know this is an A show because Josh Daniels is wrestling twice. Uh, Joe, what did you think about your first of two doses of Josh Daniels tonight? Uh, Nana's wedgie reduced this to a dud, in my opinion. Uh, No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. Um, Yeah, no, this was a totally fine eight-man tag. I I really liked it a bit. I think it broke down a bit after it it broke down, but I still get a a kick out of the Ring Crew Express. And I kind of appreciate they didn't feel the need to pull out the second rope pile driver on the Outcast Killers. You know, you're (laughs) the third match on the show. (laughs) A regular old catapult clothesline will do just fine. Um, yeah, an enjoyable match again. I'm just trying to look over my notes. Uh, oh, oh yeah, we, we should mention, we referenced it earlier before the match. And this will likely be the picture for this episode of the podcast. Uh, you, you can see and hear Doug Chentry behind one of the cameras, desperately trying to get DeVito to see a sign in the front row. And it's a sign that says, and I quote, DeVito is gross. And then in brackets, but that's why I love him. And then if you also notice, you see it right next to someone else's holding up what I believe is probably one of the very first fuck TNA signs in history. <laughs> and uh, DeVito sees the sign and he's delighted by it. He uh, he points the, another ringside cameraman to go or he points, I guess, for Doug to go turn to it. And he says, that fan speaks the truth. But what can you do? And I, I'm just it's nice that DeVito took it, hopefully in the spirit it was intended. Um, yes, Mark Nolte did, in fact, say that. uh that he got really scared that that Gabe said the word crap and begged the FCC to realize that it was Gabe saying it and not him. Um, one other thing Mark said on commentary: Mark said when the uh, Ring Crew Express when the Ring Crew Express did a spot, Mark says somewhere the Rock and Roll Express are looking at the Ring Crew Express with pride, and I thought you're kind of making it sound like the Rock and Roll Express are dead, and uh, they're not, but. That reminds me of that time that someone on Ring of Honor shows said something like, Don Morocco's looking down on this with or something, and we <laughs> laughed because Don Morocco wasn't dead. Like he's a lot of people and he's, and he's still and he's still not dead, right? Am I wrong? Did he die? He didn't I, die, right? No, I don't think so. And and in the case of the Ring Crew Express, they are still wrestling. They're going to wrestle in in New Japan pro wrestling. The rock the rock and roll express, you mean? Because yeah, the, the ring the roll. ring crew express, as far as I know, does not wrestle. Honestly, give me some Ring Crew Express in New Japan. I will subscribe in an off month to New Japan World. I mean, the, the Ring, Crew, the, Express. The Ring think, Crew Express should come back to wrestle the Rock and Roll Express at this point. I think I think at a Joey Janela show that would be that would go over like crazy. Like seriously, who like I, there are a lot of pr- promoters out there. Some I think listen to the show. If you're a person that likes those gimmick, like why are you not booking that match? Like book that match well i mean if, if, if people can find the ring crew express you can find them you can find anybody yeah um next up we have a non-title match samoa joe defeats ricky reyes with julia smokes scoring into the ring via pinfall in 943 after he hits the island driver so some preamble before the match starts julia smokes and homicide escort reyes to the ring because it is revealed although i don't think they reveal it like 
on the house mic in the footage we see, but that Reyes is the guy who turned out the lights two shows ago when the lights went out and Samoa Joe had a fireball thrown at him by homicide. He is officially a member of the Rottweilers. Um, before the match, like I said, Smokes introduces him as the newest member. At this point, Gary Michael Capetta jumps in the ring and he says that the Ring of Honor officials won't allow homicide near Samoa Joe. Homicide interrupts Gary at this point and lunges at him and grabs his shirt pretty aggressively. Gary flees to the outside and then tells Homicide from there, there's no way Joe's music will play until Homicide goes back to the dressing room. Homicide protests, but eventually he does go to the back. And then, then from the, at this point, we hear that, I believe this is the first Ring of Honor show in history where Joe's theme starts with The Champ is Here by Jadakiss, which is one of like, the iconic themes of this generation of wrestling in my mind. I mean, John Jones uses it now in UFC. He comes out, Homicide comes back out, he attacks him, Homicide hits Joe with a chair and beats him down, and eventually Joe ends up in the ring with Reyes and the match is on. Um, Matt, what'd you think about the match? And obviously if any comments about what happened before, throw those in too. I I was I was surprised by how much um how much Joe gave Reyes here. Like it almost felt like Reyes looked stronger against Joe than Stryker did in, like, the yeah. big built-up main event la- on the previous show. You know, he got in a lot of offense. He, uh, you know, he got some, uh, he, you know, kicked out of some stuff. Um, but at the same time, Joe beat the crap out of him. He uh, he had a bunch of really hard slaps, including one that led to the finish. Um, but I thought it was, um, yeah, I thought it was pretty solid, honestly. Like, it was better than I expected. It was a more competitive match. It didn't feel like a main event or anything, but it was a non-title match. And I thought that it was about as competitive. It was more competitive, honestly, than it needed to be, but in a good way. Like, um, the crowd doesn't necessarily buy Reyes' near falls. Um, but, you know, you, why would they, right? But I thought it was still a pretty good match. I, uh, I thought Reyes looked actually very, very good here. Um, and very motivated. Like, this was his first singles match in ROH. Uh, actually, no, it wasn't his first singles match, right? He was, uh, But it was his first chance to have a good singles match in ROH. <laughs> and um, it was good. I mean, wrestling Samoa Joe makes it easy. But Joe has had a bunch of matches over the time that, has n- that have not been this good, including his match at the previous show. So I, I liked it. It, it ended with um, uh, Reyes kicking out of a Joe Lariat, then the big slap, then the island driver, which we haven't seen in a while. And Joe won... Um, and Joe won from that. I thought Reyes put on a good showing for a newcomer. Uh, one funny Mark Dolty moment in this one is something. It just made him sound like such an old man. He goes, "You know, Samoa Joe. He they even he even had to can they even had to cancel Samoa Joe's interview program." And I was like, <laughs> you know, Samoa Joe's ring. And it, was, it just made me feel like uh, it made me feel like my grandmother, like saying she had to like watch her stories or something. <laughs> um, but no, I, I I thought it was good. Like I thought this was a legitimately good match. I agree. I thought this was a flat-out good match. Um, oh, it's funny you mentioned the uh, you compared this to the striker match we just saw on the last show because I wrote a comparison to that match in my notes where that match I really didn't like because I felt like the whole story of that match was Joe was walking into it injured, and yet they worked it like Joe completely dominated striker and ate him up most of the match. I felt like this is the way I wanted that match to be worked because for the first few minutes, Joe was already hurt from the beat down from Reyes and I mean from homicide and Reyes is just dominating and he's take he's 
really kind of just grinding him on the ground. And you can see Joe make these little tiny comebacks, but then get cut off. And Joe does a really great job of selling. Like it's almost like he's kind of out of it from the beatdown, but he's slowly waking up over those three minutes and he's getting more and more angry. And then when he fires up, he just basically almost has like his own hot tag sequence and just kicks Reyes's ass and dominates for a while and looks like the biggest badass in the world. And then the final few minutes, they go to more of the standard back and forth indie thing where, oh, we want to make this exciting. So the final few minutes, the bigger offense and everyone's just your turn, my turn. But I actually liked that there was two kind of distinct control periods and both of them made sense. Like they worked it the way you should, which is Joe's at a disadvantage because he's hurt going in, but then he's the better man. So once he gets an advantage, he's going to really start to take over. And yeah, if you like stiffness, this is the match for you. Some really stiff shots, including that slap, which I believe got like a standing ovation because it was so loud. That might be the loudest slap I've ever heard in wrestling history. There's a, a slap Joe gives to Reyes's face. You see the sweat fly. I don't know if I've ever heard a slap that loud. And it's just insanely not loud. And yeah, Joe just kicks his ass. And, and, and yeah, it's not a classic, but it's it's the best match of the show so far. I really enjoyed it. Reyes got to look good in the, especially in those final minutes where they're trading stuff. Uh, Joe, how loud was that slap in the building? Oh, that oh man, that's to me was the 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 best part of the match. They were in kind of an odd position because Reyes is getting you know he's getting put in the new hot heel stable. He's going to win the tag titles relatively quickly, so you wanted to protect him. So they gave him a lot. I don't know if I bought him getting that much offense on Joe, even with Joe being beaten down. But Joe beating the absolute crap out of him uh, made up for it. And this was, yeah, this was a good, solid little match. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, it was such a hard slap. There was a you got bitch slap chant in the crowd. <laughs> Joe looks at his hands a couple times in the match like he's a serial killer and he can't believe what his hands are doing to Reyes. It's just, just great stuff. But um Mike Johnson, I thought I had some interesting comments about this one from his live report. He wrote, Joe looked to be slowed considerably, possibly from his match the night before with low key at USA pro. They beat the crap out of each other with Joe striking with a slap so hard. The entire building winced. The crowd didn't seem to know who Reyes was, which makes sense since he's never worked in the Boston market. So yeah, I didn't realize going in. They actually had lo- <laughs> so do they have Boston market in Canada? To, to- <laughs> uh, I know what Boston market is, but yeah, I've never, <laughs> okay. Reyes has never served up that great prime rib before for anybody. So these fans were under understandably miffed about that, but big fans of that fast convenience food. Um, I also just looking at my notes, uh, the, uh, the observer said the reports they got said this was one of the stiffest matches in ring of honor history. And I would say it's up there. It, I mean, it's certainly up there with stuff like Joe versus key. And my other note I wrote was Wade Keller gave this match one and three quarter stars only. Which, mm. I, I I mean, I don't quibble with people's, I mean, think what you want to think. I think it's, if you think this is one of the worst matches on the show, or only a star in three quarters, I, I, I'm i sorry. That's 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 a little bit low. Like, to say this is an even average, like, stiff as hell, some exciting moves, a solid story being told. G- good match, in my opinion. Um, 
after the match, uh, fans, uh, oh, another fun note after the match, fans threw streamers in the ring because you could tell they wanted to throw them in for Joe's title match, but because it started with a prowl, they didn't get the chance to. So once Joe wins, it's like, hooray, we're going to throw the streamers in the ring now, which I thought was a funny little moment. Oh, Next I up, forgot uh, one thing when, um, Joe and homicide were brawling, like a chair flew into the crowd and almost hit a fan at one point and not surprisingly geez. that did not make the tape, but, uh, yeah. And I think we just had, man, didn't we just have on like one of the recent shows, uh, a chair from DeVito threw into the crowd and they had to like check on the fan. Like that seems to happen a fair bit in ring of honor in this period. Like, yeah, I mean, it's indie wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) Um, next up, uh, Bobby Cruz is in the ring, uh, telling the fans about upcoming ring of honor dates. When punk and cabana come back out to interrupt, uh, Punk actually gets a shut the fuck up chance, so he managed to turn the crowd pretty good with the steamboat stuff. Colt says that the fans are retarded. Mm. Punk and Cabana say Colt's shoulders were up when he got pinned earlier in the night. Uh, Punk blames Steamboat for losing the titles, and he challenges Steamboat to come to the ring and face him right now. But then he's like, oh, I just remembered. Steamboat went to the hospital. And he says Steamboat is just like the Boston fans. He doesn't have any nuts. Uh, Punk says, if the Briscoes beat the Prophecy tonight, they're taking the belts back from the Briscoes. Cue the Briscoes' entrance for the next match. The Briscoes and the Saints have some words in the aisle way as they cross paths. And, yeah, they, they ended up getting a mixed reaction on hole for the promo. More boos than cheers, although I think some fans would cheer Punk basically no matter what he said. But going back to what you like, what Joe said earlier, definitely telegraphing again with this promo that the Briscoes are winning the match you're about to see because mm-hmm. otherwise, why would Punk even throw out that tease of, hey, you know, you know, if we, if the Briscoes win, we're going for the titles in the main event tonight. Because then you're setting up, well, if the Briscoes don't win, you got kind of a meaningless tag match for the main event. So that match. I just was, want to say that I know we um, compare these shows to, to an episode of Monday Night Raw. And that was really kind of the. Like, oh, you won't see this guy come back before the night's over. Like, he did everything but say Steamboat got taken to a local medical facility to just really (laughs) hammer that home. I mean, this was a show where between some of the, like, interference and upcoming matches and and stuff like that, it did feel a bit more like like a more traditional, quote-unquote, WWE, WCW kind of TV show, almost. And uh, the next match was the Ring of Honor Tag Team title Round Robin Challenge continued with the Briscoes defeating the prophecy of Whitmer and Moth in 1326 when Mark Briscoe pinned Moth after a roll-up. The Briscoes become the first team or people in Ring of Honor history to win the same title twice. Um, Of course, within the end of the night, there'd be another two people that can also claim that. Uh, Joe, what do you think about this? A longer match than the first match tag match of the night yeah this was a good solid professional wrestling match it was based around mark selling his uh his ribs and they actually kind of got the heat on a you know mark, i think mark tried uh i forget what he tried moonsault off the top or something and slipped and that's how moff and whitmer took over which is just like they didn't try to repeat the spot they just took what happened and rolled with it which is a sign of you know the briscoes being far ahead of uh, their age in terms of wrestling acumen are we sure that uh, it was are we sure that spot wasn't intentional though it didn't seem that way, but I don't know. The fact that we can't, you know, we're debating it's probably not in its favor. 
I, I think it's not intentional just because it made Mark look like an idiot because the move is <laughs> like for those who obviously haven't seen the match, Mark does like a springboard jump up to the top where he's supposed to leap off and do a moonsault, but he slips on the top rope and crash and burns, takes a really ugly kind of dangerous looking spill actually, which is another detail making me think it was real. But then like going to what Joe said, like they don't repeat the spot and the Briscoes were kind of on like a run of offense at that point. And instead right from there, BJ doesn't even Whitmer doesn't even stop to like ask Mark or the ref if Mark's okay. And they just immediately transition into minutes and minutes and minutes of beating down Mark. So that is the one part. Yeah. That's why I asked the question. I've never seen them go so seamlessly from a botch into like it, that changes the momentum of the match they're working. So So that's, that's impressive if that's true. It's either one of the like most dedicated botches ever based on Mark's bump and how dumb it made him look or like the most seamless, like you said, like transition from a botch maybe I've ever seen. But sorry to get off on the ha- tangent. Yes. Joe, you were yeah, sorry, Joe. Sorry, Joe. Oh, no. Like I said, this is a very good match. There were some, I think, some ill-advised uh, headbutts from the Briscoes. But, uh, you know, it's just like I said, it's really solid professional wrestling. And as expected, we got our second title change of the night. Uh, Matt, what'd you think? Well, yeah, I, th- I thought it was a smartly worked match. And in fact, Mark Nolte was about to say it was a smartly worked match because what he said was, what a smart match, the prophecy are w- wrestling. Um, <laughs> so, so you know that he was about to say that too. Um, but yeah, I like the work on the ribs. The one thing I didn't like was they had a big brawl on the outside that somehow led to Jay getting busted open, and they didn't show it at all. They missed it completely. So I don't know if he was busted open hard way, if he bladed. I guess it must have been hard way because they didn't really, like, he didn't bleed that much, and we know that Jay Frisco can bleed. So um, so I guess it must have been a hard way. Um, I, I, did, I did wish at certain points that the prophecy had a little more energy. I don't know. There was something about it that was like, okay, they're kind of... They seem a little lethargic, but they're doing. But they were doing a pretty good job, and I thought Jay made up for it because his House of Fire sequence, um, with big boots and the Falcon Arrow and stuff, was was very good. Um, but in general, I thought it was I thought it was a good solid match. Um, you know, and different enough from the first match, and different enough from the last match, honestly. Um, and Moff and Whitmer seemed to work as a good unit, but you know, the ending was just um, a quick cradle, and I think. Um, Gabe was making the point like this show had a couple of quick cradles, like surprise wins. And he's actually, and, and like the, he was trying to make the point like, oh, people could win in any way. And this match definitely did have people winning in ways they don't normally win. Um, I thought this was a good match. I really enjoyed it. And I actually thought this was one of the better prophecy performances as a tag team I've seen. I actually, I really liked when they were in control with, um, really beating down Mark Briscoe's ribs for a long time. Like Mark always takes a great beating, but I thought sometimes a lot of tag teams have a hard time staying engaging when they're in control. And I felt like they did enough stuff. Like I liked BJ throwing Mark on the outside. So Moff can do his favorite thing in the world, which is throw a guy into all four barricades. But I liked that. They actually went the extra mile where he's kind of like talking with the ref then and throwing, like letting Moff deal with it as the illegal man. They did a little spot where one of them threw had a mark on their shoulders and threw him off. So the other guy could, he could land on the other guy's knee, like stuff like that. I thought was cool. BJ, like Joe said, was in a head buddy mood. Like he head butted both Briscoes and yeah, just a, another standard, um, a good story to this, just simple story with the ribs and the, and again, whether, whether that transition was planned or not, they did great to get in control on Mark. And, 
I there was even a nice little callback spot I liked near the end where uh, when um at the end of the match near the end of the match um uh, to break up a pin Mark is who's the like the illegal man he double stomps I I think BJ's ribs and I loved just like that little. Just making it specific like that, where he could have done any move, but I like the idea that's like you fucked over my ribs the whole match. So now when I'm getting my chance to make a comeback, like I'm I'm hitting your ribs, motherfucker. Like I really like that. Um, the J blood thing was weird because yeah, it was a very small trickle of blood compared to the huge blade job we had seen from him earlier. And Mark Nolte did not to pick on him on this show, but Mark Nolte did a thing I really don't like when announcers do, which is when a guy starts bleeding a little and then they act like it's a massive blood loss, even though we can all see he barely bled. Like I think the cuts basically healed before the match is over and the blood is all been sweated away, but he's still acting like, we got to think about Jay's blood loss. And it's like, I've had nosebleeds where I think I lost more blood than Jay Briscoe lost in this match. And I, I realize you want to sell the story of the match, but when what we're seeing before our eyes literally tells us different, like you can't pretend he lost a bucket of blood. He really hasn't Mark. And um, Mark also did something I didn't enjoy, which again is another thing I think speaks to his, uh, lack of knowledge of Ring of Honor, which is when this match starts breaking down, like I would say 95% of Ring of Honor tags or multi-man matches do, where everyone starts coming into the ring and out of the ring and no tags, Mark really focuses on who's the illegal man and keeps reminding us of that to the point where at one point Gabe cuts him off where he's like, and I have to remind everyone, and Gabe's like, yep, that Mark Briscoe's ribs are injured. You're right, Mark. Like, like he's like, doesn't want him to say it again because in fact, like within seconds of Mark saying this, Mark Briscoe, the illegal man wins the match. And it's one of those things where if Mark Nolte had watched ring of honor consistently, he would know that, you know, it's very likely that one or two illegal men will be involved in the finish. And by calling attention to that fact, you're kind of working against the match and working against the guys. And it's just little things like that where there are things that can be fixed, but there, there are problems that happen when someone just doesn't do their homework and hasn't. I, I would be shocked if Martin Alti had watched two or more Ring of Honor shows before he did this show. And if he did, he needs to, he should have paid better attention. There's a legal man thing. I usually don't mind it, but in the main event, there's one particular legal man-related thing that got my goat a little bit, but I'll bring it up later. And finally, I'll just say, I agree with Matt. Mark, Jay Briscoe, Jay had like a great hot tag sequence here. Just really great fiery hot tag sequence. Mostly just the Yakuza kicks. Just really great. Um... Oh, also during the match, Gabe said if the Prophecy wins this match, then the winner of the Saints-Briscoe's main event gets a tag team title match on a later date. So I guess that is Gabe trying to not tip off the the result of this match, basically like saying like, look, the main event will have meaning no matter what. But obviously, if you predicted that the tag titles would change, you would have been right. Um, After the match, it's intermission, and we join Gary Michael Capetta backstage with the returning Spanky. Uh, Gary says Spanky is one of the men who put Ring of Honor on the map. Spanky gives a very straightforward, kind of charismaless promo from him. He just puts over the company. He talks about the challenge of facing homicide. Um, Then at the very end, though, you get that Spanky humor where he says he has some fish to fry, and then he puts on a Hershey's Kiss-shaped hat, and he tries tries to leave in the wrong direction. So... 
that's your little bit of Spanky for this show. Yeah, I was like, oh, Spanky, he's much more humble and down to earth than he was when we last saw him in ROH. And then he puts on the big Hershey Kiss hat. So yeah. just to undercut the, the new personality just a little. All that made me think of, by the way, is my favorite Halloween costume I've ever seen is when I was a little kid. A girl, probably like 10 years old, came to my family store in a giant, and I mean giant Hershey's Kiss-like outfit made out of tinfoil. It even had a little paper thing coming out of her head, and she fell over and couldn't get up. And to this day, like, I worry about that person. <laughs> like, we had to, I think we had to help her, but I kept walking, watching her, like, waddle down the street. And to this day, I don't know if that woman died or not. <laughs> Like, I was scared of her as a little kid. So I just randomly had to share that memory. Um, after the match, it's intermission. Gary, oh, yeah, I already did that. Uh, elsewhere backstage, Sean Price is outside the Prophecy's locker room. He walks in and he asks them what's going through their minds. Allison is mad, but Matt Moff stops her and says he doesn't know if he can do this anymore. Uh, Danger promises that they'll be riding high before the end of the night. Then they kick Price out of the locker room. Matt, did you notice that Sean Price seemed less nervous on the show, I thought? Yes, than the yes, show? Uh, I was definitely thinking that. Like, he seemed a bit more comfortable. Like, he was still talking a mile a minute, but, like, he definitely wasn't stammering or anything like that. He felt it's, he felt more at home. Hey, well, that makes sense, right? You get better as you do something. Except, except, except for me. I've done podcasts for a long time, and I still don't know what I'm doing. I think if you looked at mine, I've like I got better in the first five episodes, and now there's like a dip again. <laughs> like I think somehow I'm going in reverse after progress. But uh, well, I, 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 I can't I can't say that about you, but I can definitely say it about me. So <laughs> no, yeah. uh, Joe, you were never anywhere to begin with, so don't worry. <laughs> cool. uh, Josh Daniels next up. So Josh me? Daniels with Prince Nana defeats Dixie with with Angel Dust, Becky Bayless, and Cheech at his in his corner via pinfall in four fifty two after he hits a high angle Fisherman's Buster. So Gabe goes out of his way to explain why Daniels is working twice, saying this was Daniels' originally scheduled match. They had no idea that Daniels was joining the Prophecy as their mystery fourth man, so that's why he's wrestling twice tonight. This match, there's nothing much to it. It's your standard Ring of Honor um, two match where they give a new guy. We talked about this on a previous show where they give a new guy like five minutes and they after intermission and they don't really have any faith in them to go any longer. And so the guys don't really make much of an impression and they're just rushing through stuff. But the big story of this match is halfway through it. Ox Baker comes out. Yes, Ox Baker. He just keeps yelling over and over again, like, I can help you. I can help you at Dixie. Dixie is perplexed and doesn't like this. And for the rest of the match, all commentary can talk about all we can focus on is Ox Baker. I don't know what the point of this was. I even wrote in my notes, my rating for this match is Ox Baker. Um, Joe, what did you think about Ox Baker? <laughs> uh, if you hear the crowd go like, Ooh, at some point it was cause he told Nana too. And I apologize. We told him to go back to Africa at one point. Oh God. Uh, let's see. That's um, like, Oh my God. Like that's so bad. I hope that's why they didn't yeah. bring him back. <clears throat> they, um, before the intermission, they said there's four big matches coming up. So I don't know what definition <laughs> of big they were using for this match, but, uh, yeah, this was just like a bizarre fever dream. And Gabe's given the, oh, who booked this? Like, which is his code for all oh, this really is shit. And we <laughs> apologize. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess Ox Baker, I guess he lived in, I think he lived in New England because I saw him at a show in like uh, February of that year. 
also in Massachusetts. And um, yeah, I really don't know. I don't think this went anywhere. I don't know where they thought it would go. That was good. And uh, yeah, it was just kind of a, a bizarre fever dream of a match that, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Matt, like, what is it like? I would love to know. We we got to reach out and ask what was the deal with Ox Baker because both times we've seen him, neither time did Gabe seem like happy to see him. <laughs> like he like like Joe said, he was openly shitting on Ox Baker. There's even a point where where Mark Nolte trying to be like old school Mark Nolte is like tries to upsell Ox Baker, and he's like, well, he uh, threatened uh, Bob Barker on the Prices Right once, and you know he was a tough guy in his day, and Gabe cuts him off. And it's just like he like. Well, he's not, that's, that was a long time ago. I think Gabe says like, he's just basically like, Mark, don't even try to defend this. And yeah, it's just so weird. Did you have any thoughts about that? I I don't know what the hell's going on with this. Um, yeah, my general thoughts were just like, what the fuck is this? Um, (laughs) I, um, I didn't know about the horrible racism. Like that makes it a whole nother level of terrible, but, um, yeah, I mean, I guess there were some funny moments, like at the after the match, where he was like looking at, down at Special K, and they were all terrified of him. He's like, "I can help you! I can help you! I mean it!" And Dixie just yells, "Help us! How? Like, <laughs> like I, I mean, I suppose that was funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know, like what the like why he was part of it. He kept saying, like, "Am I on drugs? Why is Ox Baker here?" He said that the last time he was there too. Um, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't understand. Um, it's this was one of the worst things I've ever seen on an ROH show. Honestly, like just in terms of being like purely like a bad, like just a bad segment that were, didn't work at all and made the wrestlers look worse than they were, and just was a complete disaster. I think this this is pretty high up there. I mean, like I know there was stuff they cut out, like the insane clown posse and Conan, but like of the stuff that actually made it to DVD, this is one of the biggest like abominations. I think. Like, imagine if you're Josh Daniels and, and you're going like, oh, okay, I, I'm getting five minutes. You know, I got to make an impression. I want to get a regular job here. And then it turns out half of the match, everyone's focus is just going to be on Ox Baker at ringside. Like, it's just amazing. Like, I felt bad for him in that sense. Some pos- some positive things I'll note. Like, I think it was – I like that that uh, Angel Dust – came to the ring with the neck brace and was still selling, you know, weeks later after, you know, I guess it was like more than two months later after at our best. And he was still like limping and had the neck brace. The one thing I didn't like was the last two shows, Becky did this whole thing like special K, please reach out to me. What's going on. And like special K seemed depressed on this show, but it's not like they really ever explained the angle, like why they weren't talking to her, how she found them, any of that stuff. So that was like kind of a waste on those, those promos on the last couple shows. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that that angle didn't. Yeah, that's a great point. That angle didn't really go anywhere. But I guess maybe that maybe that's a good thing. But that leads us to our next match, which was a the as Gabe kept telling us the hottest new match in wrestling. Definitely not just a scramble match with six guys. Uh, John, a six man mayhem match. John Walters defeated Hydro, Izzy, Masada, Roderick Strong, and Trent Acid. In 12:32, when Walters pinned Izzy after he hit a dominator off the second turnbuckle, um, Matt, I'm going to let you lead off first. I'm just going to say I actually enjoyed this match quite a bit. Wade Keller gave this two stars, and uh, I believe Bruce Mitchell said this wouldn't even make this was a bad match that wouldn't even make a uh, a TNA show. 
where do you fall in that grand uh, that grand chasm there? I guess maybe just you and I have like Ring of Honor eyes, so like we can appreciate these things for what they are, and maybe like if you don't, you wouldn't. I don't know. Um, yeah, I thought this was like this was by far the most ambitious of the six man scrambles that they've had so far. Like it was the longest. It was a good solid fifteen minutes, right? Like close to it. Did you time it? Um, my thing said twelve thirty two, but some of these times might be a little bit off, and I might have even I'll double check. But you well, even, even that like twelve thirty two is longer than the other ones have been. And like they start, they, like they very early get to a sequence that felt like it could have been the closing sequence, like with um, like everybody hitting moves on each other, um, Strong doing the you know crazy backbreaker, um, Hydro did this crazy dragon suplex on Masada off the ropes where like Masada lands bad on like on his head and neck, um, like and even Gabe was like, boy, I hope like uh, Masada's not dead now, um, like just like insane stuff. And then after that. It settles down into like the special K is sort of working as a team against the other guys. Um, I actually thought Trent Acid looked surprisingly good in this match. He had a lot of energy and he got pretty over. Um, I, I didn't think Strong stood out as much as I would have hoped. This was, you know, like Strong's first main show ROH match. And obviously he'd have a legendary career there. But this match, he didn't really stand out among a lot of the other guys. But he'd have time for that pretty soon. But I thought Hydra looked really good. I thought Acid looked surprisingly good. I thought Izzy looked good. Like, I thought this was like, this was a good showing for those guys. Obviously, Hydra would be pretty soon transitioning to a singles wrestler um, in the next little while. Um, as far as moves, um, you had that dragon suplex. You had Masa- Walters doing the Muda Lock on Lethal, but Izzy then moonsaulted Walters to get out of it. Um, you had, you had um, the dive by Izzy, where he, and then Izzy uh, teased the reverse Rana on Acid, and I thought this was one of the cooler spots of the match. So he was on Acid's shoulders, and Walters did the, uh, the, back, the backstabber wa- off of Acid's shoulders on Izzy, which I thought was a really good spot. Um, and then Hydro immediately came back with a, a, like a kind of a springboard DDT, like jump a drop-down DDT onto Walters. I like that a lot. Then as he got the reverse Rana on, uh, on Acid, and trying to, then Acid hit the Yakuza kick on Walters. Hydro and Izzy went for a double superplex, but Walters reversed it, and then he hit the, uh, the Dominator um, and got the pin. I yeah, so I thought it was pretty good, like ambitious. Like I said, there there were some pacing issues. I thought, like I thought it might have peaked a little early, but considering you know those matches are probably hard to put together, I thought they did a pretty good job. Joe, what did you think? Yeah, I don't know how you can be so down on the match when the crowd was clearly losing their minds for it. Like people were going nuts for this. <clears throat> like Matt said, a ton of just really crazy, innovative spots. Uh, it was weird. Like Trent Acid just kept seeming to get the best of everyone. Like he would always for a lot of the match seemed end up standing tall and, you know, he would get a push towards his one title shot later on. Uh, yeah, it was weird seeing baby Roderick strong here. And, I'll, I'll, you know, so many guys on the show are still not only wrestling, but in, you know, big spots and, and big companies. And, uh, yeah, this was, uh, I enjoy these types of matches and this was a very good version of it. So, and by the way, this is another example of a guy winning a match with a movie does not normally win with because Walters doesn't typically win with the dominator and especially one off the top rope. Yeah. yeah. That was, it seemed like, uh, I think his normal repertoire just wouldn't have been considering all the craziness in this match. I think he, they probably decided wisely to amp it up a bit and it was good to see Walters win in his hometown, which kind of added to the, the, the crowd's response. 
And I double checked the time on this match. It is 12.32, I believe, for this match. But still a decent time for a, a scramble, definitely. And I, I really enjoyed this. This was on the higher end of my enjoyment of these kinds of just random spot fists, like scrambles and mayhem matches. And I think a big reason for this is the same reason I, I enjoyed some of them more on the last two shows, which is I just feel like kind of in these last few shows, Ring of Honor has reached a point with their undercard where there's enough different, really talented, colorful people on the undercard and so many fresh faces and faces that looking back, we can tell are going to make it. That is just more fun, even if it is, it's still basically in format, the same kinds of uh, scramble type match you've always seen, which is just big spot, big spot, big spot, you know, and multi-man submission spots, all the same tropes, but just the, the who's in it and just the the median talent level, I think, is higher now. And, yeah, some crazy spots. I agree with you, Matt, that uh, I felt like baby fat Roderick Strong got a little lost in the shuffle here in what was his uh, main roster debut. But, I mean, main card debut. And, but he, I mean, he'd do okay. But the other thing is... um. Izzy, I th- there was a couple of cool spots I want to call out. One is, I thought, it's a real simple thing, but I thought Izzy took one of the best slingshot bumps over the ropes I've ever seen. He touched the ropes and hit the apron on the way down so it was safe. But if you just watch it, he took it with such a speed and more importantly, like a fluidity that really made it look cool. Like so often when people take this, like a slingshot over the ropes, they're like, kind of doing it in like three or four steps. He just did it in like one fluid motion, goes right over looked really cool and likewise Masada I feel like Masada was kind of underrated in Ring of Honor because almost every show he takes one crazy spot bump and he had some pretty good agility for a guy his size although he wasn't pert like a good way to sum up Masada was early on he does a nice drop kick and as the commentating is like selling ooh like nice drop kick by Masada he does a really ugly kip up like it's kind of like the best and the worst right there um, but there's a bump he takes like, uh, in the match, Trent acid hits his re- inverted brain buster, which is a really cool looking move. And then later it looks like he tries to do it to Masada off the apron. And it looks like Masada doesn't rotate all the way over. And he takes like a really scary looking bump on probably his head and shoulders. And other than that, I, I think this is just a fun, big Goofy, no story, nuts, multi-man. But the one thing I want to mention, well, other than we get a little bit of character character development because before the match, Hydro's telling the rest of the Special K, like, I'm serious, no fooling around, come on, I'm serious, which they are advancing the transition to Jay Lethal. But then the other um, thing I want to point out, and Matt, you alluded to this earlier, Mark Nolte on commentary says, Becky Bayless is one Twinkie away from being Tammy Sitch. And to that, I say, what the fuck? Like, first off, that's kind of a a shitty thing to say. But second of all, like, really? Like, you think she's fat? But not, like, but, but, but not only that, like, why are you taking a pot shot at Tammy Sitch also? Like, right? Like, what? Like, why are you like, why do you like you're shitting on two women right there for no reason? Yeah, like it, it, it. So often we say stuff like, "Oh, this works on so many levels." This doesn't work on so many different levels. Like, why are you going after Becky Bayless? Even I, I guess she is kind of a heel, but why are you going after Tammy Sitch? Why are you saying Becky Bayless is fat? Like, it just 
it, even it just sounds like a corny Jerry Lawler line, like one Twinkie away. It just and then and then didn't Gabe respond by saying, "Oh, well, hey, hey, Mark. Well, she is a slut, though, right?" So it's like. <laughs> It's. I mean, it was in the. It was in the air in ROH at the time, and it's just. It's toxic, and I guess you just hope you chalk it up to a bygone era. I don't know. Out of curiosity, like I looked up Becky Payless on like social media on Google, and I saw. I don't think she's updated her Instagram lately, but from like judging from like a year ago, Becky Bayless looks nearly exactly the same. Like we should all hold up that well over fifteen years. Because I'm going to guess that in 15 years, I'm going to look like a gelatinous gray mass with hopefully some hair sticking out of it. Like, I don't think I'm going to age very well. So, you know, wrong person to make that comment about, I'd say. Wait, 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 wait. Why are you now body shaming gelatinous gray masses? I'm just saying that all the – if if I judge my family's lineage, all of my collagen is going to like melt soon and my skin is just going to sag to the floor like a Sharpay. So, sounds pretty sounds pretty back. sounds pretty cute to me. Well, if any women agree, join my uh, Patreon. <laughs> message me. Oh, is that um, how it works? <laughs> they pay you, and then they, they okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, Walters gets a big hometown chant after the match. This is probably one of the better reactions he's gotten, and. Because this is a shorter Ring of Honor show, we get to see every second of it. They really linger on him after the match. So, um, um, by the way, Walters is, based on what Joe told me, Walters' R.J. Brewer character would really get along well with uh, Ox Baker. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if they hit it off in the back. Maybe he meant to come out and say, I can help you to uh, Walters and get in touch with his... uh, His racist side? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Look for the Brewer Baker ticket in 2024. Um, <laughs> homicide. Next up, we had Homicide defeating Spanky in his return to Ring of Honor via pinfall in 16 minutes, 13 seconds after he hits a lariat. Um, the Observer said report said this was the match of the night. Wade Keller said that uh, if, if you describe this match on paper, it would have sounded better than it actually was. Spanky seemed a little bit light compared to Homicide. Certainly not bad, but a disappointment. Homicide finished off Spanky with an ace crusher off the ropes and a lariat. Three and a quarter stars. Um, Mike Johnson said this match, the early portion of it, was similar to a match they had earlier in World 1. So I assume not the er- earlier in the night. But, uh, Joe, did you think this was the match of the night? Or would you reserve that for something else? Uh, I'm torn between this and the main event. I both enjoyed a lot. I thought this was very good. Not excellent, but very good. And you can can't, you can't really tell, but, uh, on his way of the ring, Spanky stopped and said he liked my, uh, zero one shirt I was wearing to the show. I gotta go back. Yeah. You can't really tell. Oh, I was shit. like, in my mind, he comes up and like, you know, <laughs> slaps me on the back, but he, I, you can't really tell. He just goes to the ring, but that did happen. I swear. God, uh, I, no, I, I'm angry. Because for, uh, Spanky never replied to me when I asked him on Twitter, what was his Wendy's order on like the first ring of honor show when he had a bag of Wendy's. And yet here he is talking to Joe about his goddamn zero one shirt when he has wrestling to do, but when he has Twitter and he can do anything he wants, he has 24 hours a day. He can't tell me if he likes nuggets or not. So fuck you, Spanky Joe continue. He's a busy man working two matches a month. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought this was a, um, a solid hybrid match. I thought kind of the early going of the match, Spanky out wrestled him. You would think homicide would kind of take the advantage by rough-handed tactics, but every time he introduced foreign objects, it kind of backfired. Like, he just used the chair on him, 
and you know, <laughs> commentators are like, well, oh, good call by the ref, not calling for the DQ. And, um, later he, the ref took it away and then Spanky did a slice bread off the floor, kind of off the chair and like homicide just took over. He just kind of kicked Spanky in the head and gave him a knee. But I like the, uh, I thought the ending stretch was very good. Um, Julius Smokes interfered fairly liberally and pulled the ref out at one point and Gabe just loses his mind like, oh, wh- what has he done? When you like, you know, you see that in the very next match and they're like, well, we had to save the tag titles. But uh, yeah, again, Homicide doesn't use a cop killer, just uses a lariat. And uh, I thought this was good, solid pro wrestling. Yeah, this, I agree with you, Joe. This, either this or the main event would be my match of the night. I put both at like three and a half to three and three quarter stars like there where it's it's not something you have to go out of your way to see but i think this is another great example of the million styles of homicide because we see him do brawls and hardcore matches and we see him do like just really stiff strike-based matches with guys like joe we just saw him go to the mat for a long portion and do a real story-based match with brian danielson and this is homicide just doing like your modern indie move fast do a lot of stuff lots of 2.9 kick out near falls lots of signature moves like he can he can go at any pace at any way at this point in his career he is so versatile and this is a good version of that kind of match but there is something missing a little bit i felt like spanky looked maybe spanky looked maybe a little bit rusty or maybe just a little off he just didn't quite look there on some of his stuff and Homicide, I, I thought, did great, although the, this Homicide, he does great at this style, but it's like my least interesting Homicide. I prefer him when he's being more stiff or angry or crazy or, or doing something with weapons or something, where this, like, it, it's it's weird because he works very strong heel in, at, in this match in the sense of Julius Smokes frequently... Um, uh, interferes. He grabs Spanky's leg. He pulls the ref out of the ring during a crucial late match, like count and the referee does nothing about it. And yet at the end of the match, he's like shaking Spanky's hand and Spanky's shaking it back, even though homicide just cheated to win. So that kind of stuff was weird. The match itself. It, it, I did also notice it's a little bit weird in the sense that there's no, like so many in a company that at this moment that is trying so hard to give every match a justification and a story and some, it's weird that you did kind of notice that this match didn't really have anything behind it. Like it was just a dream match. It was just Spanky's back. Homicide could use another big win before his title match. Here we, here we go. And there didn't seem to be a lot of spark between them in that sense, but still lots of good action, enjoyable match. Matt, what'd you think? Yeah, I thought it was quite good. Um, you know, there was some stuff like um, when Homicide threw a chair into the ring, like Nolte was like, there's no chairs in Ring of Honor in a match like this. And I'm like, no, there, there, there is. <laughs> like, it, they do that sometimes. I, uh, yeah, in, that sh- in the match against Danielson, right? Weren't they hitting each other like with the ring bell and nothing happened and stuff yeah. like Like they don't really take the whole like no weapons thing seriously. Um, but I guess it was to set up the fact that when Homicide pulled the chair later, the ref took it out of his hands, which led to a cool spot on the floor where Spanky kicked off of the chair that the ref was holding and did a slice bread number two on Homicide. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I thought the match had some cool like moves you don't normally see from Homicide. Like at one point, Homicide does like almost like a like a sit a sit out 
like double underhook powerbomb, which you don't really see, and a double underhook superplex, which you don't really see Homicide do. I really liked all the moves that you don't normally see on this show. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically what you said is true. This is just like a very like standard style indie like dream match. A good version of it, but not like a memorably good version of it, I guess, if that makes yeah. sense. And um, the one other thing, though, that I would nitpick is like Joe was bringing up. The way Gabe was just so appalled by the very like mild heel interference by Julius Smokes. Like, oh my god, he, he, he touched Pinky's leg. He's, they've, they've never done anything like this before. They're so dangerous. And then he pulls out the referee and Gabe is like... <gasps> He pulled out the referee! And like, like you said, he had like, he basically had a heart attack. And it was just like, it was so over the top. Like, they were, they were really trying so hard to make Homicide and the Rottweilers seem scary. Um, like, it's not good enough that they're just heels. Because they were just heels. But they made it out to be like, this was the most horrifying thing that's ever happened in wrestling. And I think that's weird. But it was a good match. Uh, Spanky looked good, but we obviously will and have seen him look much better at other times. Homicide... You know, he was—he definitely used this match to get over his new persona, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, I, I thought the interference, the reactions were a bit weird, obviously, like over the top. But I also thought it was there was a lot of like interference in the in the final two matches, and especially like both of the last two matches had a late match near fall where someone pulls the ref out of the ring and he does nothing. And the thing I kind of didn't like about this show was not that there was cheating, but that there was so much of it after there was none. And every single time, Gabe and Mark said the same thing on commentary, which is, I guess the referee wants to see a winner. And it's like, if that's the case, then why don't you just say no DQ? Because is there ever a time when the referee doesn't want to see a winner? Like, I, I, I don't, I, I just... Uh, well, theoretically, the referee should not have a, an, an interest in what happens. They should just call it by as it is, right? In yeah, theory. and even them doing the same cheating spot in both parts of the double main event, that's the kind of thing you need someone kind of agenting backstage and just going to the guys as they plan out their matches, oh, this other guy before you is doing that, so one of you can't do this. You know, you can't pull the ref out by the legs during a late match near fall when the very next part of the double top two matches, the very next match, is also going to do that exact spot. It, it, again, it just it, it fo- focuses more... And then when Gabe and Mark do the exact same excuse, it just focuses more on how kind of weak it is. But um, also, Matt, final question. Was this the first Ring of Honor show where Homicide's music had the Kill Bill intro to it with the sirens? I did write that, so I think yes, unless they just cut it out of previous DVDs. This is absolutely the first time it appeared on a DVD. So this yeah. is a lot of firsts tonight. Yeah, this- with, with the first for the intro for Samoa Joe and Homicide's pro- music. And also, I believe the first time ROH ever had the same main event on back-to-back shows. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it's true. Yeah, so this is a lot of neat little weird bits of ROH trivia on this show. And then after the match, we get the handshake, like I said, and even he, Hamasa even gives Spanky a little applause, which seems real weird to me when he cheated to win and he's supposed to be this hateful heel. Um, Spanky goes to the back, and then Homicide grabs the mic. Homicide calls out Samoa Joe, and he says he's not waiting for next week. Joe runs in wearing street clothes, and immediately Ricky Reyes runs in, and he and Smokes do a two-on-one beatdown as Homicide watches. Uh, Smokes even does a nice diving headbutt here. Uh, 
Ring of Honor officials try and run into the ring, but Homicide swears he'll kill them if he does. And then he pile drives Joe. Ray is then pile drives Joe. Homicide stands over a beaten down Joe and he says he's the next champ. Ichabon, motherfucker. And then Joe is eventually held to the back by a bunch of people as he's really selling being beaten down to shit. And he's not even able to make it to the back on on his own. And you can hear him scream homicide multiple times as he's held to the back. I thought this was a pretty good like little heat up angle for their next match. I don't know if I've ever seen them hype like an upcoming show as much as they're like building up the matches for the Philly show the next week. Like they're really putting a lot of heat on that main event. They're talking a lot about the gen next, um, like supposed like gimmick that they're pretending that they're going to have, which is that like a bunch of wrestlers are going to like newcomers are going to have matches and the fans are going to vote for who is the best. Right. Um, and then they even build up the tag title match for the next show. So they're really putting a lot of emphasis on that Philly show that's coming up, Generation Next. I think they're doing a good job with that. I think that's a cool thing to do. Like Basically, they're treating that show like it's almost like a pay-per-view. Yeah, this felt like a go-home raw with yeah. the, you know, Joe beat down and the building up the matches coming up. Right. Yeah, uh, that's a very good point. And that brings us to the main event, the third and final match in the Round Robin Challenge 3. The Second City Saints of CM Punk and Cole Cabana defeat the Briscoes, Jay and Mark, in 1916. When Cabana pins Mark after he hits a frog splash, Matt continuing the night of guys winning with things that aren't their finishers, I just Exa- realized. Exactly. That's what I was thinking of. So what did you think about this and how this compared to – we just saw, like you said, literally the last show we saw this match. So what did you think about this one? Well, they definitely – obviously the big difference was that the Second City Saints are the heels here. Um, and this is, might be like the most like classically old school style tag match, or a tag title match ROH has done. Like they really just went for like face in peril. The Second City Saints are beating the crap out of Mark's ribs, and I like that a lot actually. Like they they really targeted the ribs. Like and Mark does a really good job of selling it. At one point, even like early in the match before they got the heat. Uh, like Jay would tag in Mark to do a big move, and then Mark would immediately have to get out of the ring because his ribs were just so brutalized. Um, so I like that. They did the whole telegraph thing again because Gabe was like, I don't see any way the Briscoes lose. And then M- M- uh, Nolte's like, um, no, but you were wrong last time. And Gabe's like, yeah, you're right, but trust me, I'm never wrong twice. Which I, <laughs> I thought that was cute, but like still yeah. telegraphing it a little too much. Um, but I really like, you know, like Cabana's doing the bow and arrow. Punk is doing the abdominal stretch where Cabana's pulling his arm, like just very old school. And the heat, you know, the, the segment goes on for a while. And this, it, it actually signifies a new era. Like you would not have seen an, a main event like this in 2002 or 2003 ROH, right? Like they would never go this like old school and kind of simple in terms of the match structure. But I thought it worked pretty well. You could tell the crowd was exhausted. They mentioned how hot it was in there. But they were still, you know, they still cared. They were still into it. Um, my biggest pet peeve about this match was that after all this time, Mark finally tags Jay because a Cabana, for some stupid reason, tries to backdrop Punk onto Mark, who was on the apron. 
and Mark obviously ducks and and Punk falls to the outside, which that allowed was such a crazy bump too because he yeah. couldn't touch the ropes and he had to go from the ring to the floor without touching the ropes or apron. Right, it was crazy, but it was also kind of contrived. But it, it worked because then Mark hit a springboard dropkick on Colt and ta- and hot tag Jay. And Jay's a house of fire for like a minute, and then Topes onto Punk, and then Mark, who's taken all this abuse for so long, finally tags out. It just becomes Mark versus Cabana again, like almost immediately. And they're fighting. And Mark, who just had this major hot tag, uh, got like did a two-count roll-up on Cabana that the ref counted. I don't usually nitpick about legal man stuff. But like in this case, come on. Like it was just such a big deal that he finally tagged out. And now he's getting a near fall. Like, I mean, it really was like less than two minutes later, right? Like probably like a minute later that that near fall happened. Like that was a little bit much for me. But in general, I thought it was good. Um, you know, Punk hit this like double underhook suplex and bridge J, and then Mark hit a shooting star press to break it up. So Mark was doing a lot of good selling, but also there was some stuff that was a little dicey. Um, and then, of course, Mark covered Colt. Uh, Mark covered Punk, but Colt pulled out the ref. Second match in a row. Um, and Mark blocked the Pepsi plunge, and then he threw Punk to the floor. And the thing I didn't like about that was the the camera barely showed that like they were showing um colt being sent into the guardrail and then like to the like tail end of punk falling to the floor and it's like you edit this in post you should have just shown punk falling to the floor right like there's that was the bigger thing to show so i didn't understand that but then cabana hit a frog splash to win the match which is interesting and I think I agreed with you. You said both of the main event and the previous match were like three and a half, three and three quarters. Yeah. I'd, put, I'd put this in that range, like three and three quarters, yeah. three and a half. It was a good match, definitely, and, and well worked. Um, I don't think it reached like the heights because I, I thought it was just – I don't know. There were things that about it that bugged me, um, and just some matches don't get there. But it was definitely a good, well-worked, smartly-worked match. They put a lot of effort into it. I thought it was a fitting main event. Joe, what do you think as you braved the heat to watch this main event? Yeah, this was yeah, this was the prior match was my, my match of the night, and I real greatly appreciate the rib selling being carried over from the prior match. I thought that was great. Um, yeah, just a really structurally well put together match uh, with some cool stuff. I, you know, Jay did break up a pin with a shooting star press, and Gabe pointed out, oh, he sacrificed himself, and I really appreciated the finish being a frog splash because that would greatly impact the ribs. So it made sense. That was uh, the surprise ending and the saints end up with the belts again. We're kind of back where we started, but uh, no, very, very good main event. I, uh, I really like this match. Like I said before, three and a half, three and three quarter. Um, yeah. Like, like going to what you said, Matt, this was probably one of the most old school tag matches in ring of honor history. Not like, Guys had done the the work over the injured body part and the hot tag structure before, but I don't think anyone went this heavy on it to the point where I think the match was almost 20 minutes long. And I bet you, I, I tried to figure this out. I don't, I didn't got the exact time, but I bet you almost half of the match was just one long heat sequence of Mark getting his ribs worked over. And I don't think any match in Ring of Honor up to this point had dedicated that much just to to selling that. And there's, they did a lot of um, hot tag teases, including one I really liked where um, Mark is going for the hot tag and one of the Saints 
tackles Mark and then just pins his arms behind his back and pins him against the mat until the other saint, that's the illegal man, can run all the way around the ring and pull Jay off the apron. Like, I just love, I thought that stuff was really cool. And yeah, you can tell watching this match how huge a fan um, Punk and Cabana must have been of 80s wrestling, which I mean, obviously most of us of that age were. But like, they do so many of those little things we all grew up watching, like the poke to the eye to break up a run of offense or the, the assisted um, abdominal stretch. And then the ref catches it and kicks the arm free and all that stuff. Like they do so many of those and lots of quick tags and tags behind the ref's back. Like the, all that, all the stuff where they work over Mark that comes straight out of like eighties wrestling and good match where it's missing or not missing. Like it's funny. I, I think some people will look at this match and go, well, it's not as many near falls and big spots at the end compared to today's matches. And some people will say that's a good thing. And some people will say that's a bad thing. So it's really kind of just depends on your personal taste, whether you think that's a plus or negative. Um, yeah, I enjoyed this match. Punk did a 25 count delayed vertical suplex. And Jay also did a very rare dive for him over the top rope. And you kind of see why it's rare for him because he looks almost out of control doing it. And he rotates and hits Punk right with his legs. And this is right after Punk had just taken that gnarly bump himself where he couldn't touch the apron or the ropes. So I felt kind of bad for Punk on this one. But yeah, good match old school in a way you don't see a lot of ring of honor matches like good way to end the in-ring portion of the show after the match the prophecy attacked the saints and the briscoes and gabe uh, no they attack the saints and the briscoes they don't attack gabe gabe says his producer just told him in his earpiece uh, the prophecy is challenging challenging the saints for the tag titles in philly the brawl moves to the outside and colt does his big assai moonsault to the floor Punk teases going for a dive himself, but Ricky Steamboat confronts him in the ring. He's back. He's not in the hospital. He hits a classic Steamboat comeback with chops and arm drags, and then he finishes him off, yes, with a flying crossbody off the top. That was awesome. Uh, Steamboat seems super pumped to be doing it. He poses in the ring as the crowd chants for him. His theme music plays. Steamboat makes his way to the back, and the crowd chants Steamboat's bitch at Punk. So what do you guys think about that? I thought that was pretty cool. I really did think it was an example. Sometimes you see of these older guys where it feels like Steamboat's doing a little bit more on every one of these shows. Like he's getting more and more confident in himself and getting more and more like into it. And it was really cool to see here. Yeah, this was great. It was great. It's great seeing these shows end with Steamboat. It really sends the crowd home happy. And I like that they sort of do it as a surprise. And Steamboat, yeah, he looks amazing. He looks great, like his, like physically and also his moves. Joe, was it was it pretty cool seeing Steamboat at like this point? In his, it's a weird point at his career looking back because you would think, okay, this is – at the time you might have thought the word we all were hearing from like the newsletters and stuff was Steamboat doesn't feel like he can do a whole match. So this is the most you're ever going to see from him again. And obviously we did get a full Steamboat but yet this is this kind of weird bit in his history where he's retired for years. He kind of surprises everyone by doing this much physical stuff. And then he kind of comes back and does the matches. But you got to see this weird little bit of history here. Yeah, he had uh, been retired for 10 years at this point. But he really looked like he didn't miss a beat. He had so much pop in everything he did. And like when he came off the top, he got the just incredible pop. People were losing their minds for uh, for this. And I got a high five from him on the, his way back. So, uh, wow. yeah, a huge thumbs up. Childhood uh, hero of mine, Ricky Steamboat. So, awesome. 
Next, we go backstage for an Alex Shelley promo. Shelley says he thought the best way to beat Matt Stryker was to give him a box of razor blades and, quote, let him book his own ending, unquote. Mm. Alex says that Matt needs to cut to remember to cut down the road, not across the street. I just wrote in my notes, holy shit. Uh, Alex oh, Shelley's said- canceled. Yeah. I mean, I mean, but not only this is not only Shelly. Like the, the the fact that like no one in ROH was like, all right, man, too much. Yeah, like especially like, is Matt Striker suicidal? <laughs> like his push isn't <laughs> going that badly. Um, um, anyway, Alex says he now thinks the best way to beat Matt Striker is not to get him to commit suicide, apparently, but to humiliate him in the ring. Good choice, Alex. Um, Alex says he will need he will beat Stryker in two straight matches. No need for a third in this best of three series. Shelley says the next show is Generation Next, and they're telling him he has to earn his spot on that show. Shelley says he has a big surprise for that event. Gabe says cut, and then we see Shelley walk away with Roderick Strong, who was just off camera. The last thing we hear Shelley say to Strong is, "So backbreakers, huh?" So that's <laughs> that a cute little yeah. That was cool. Scouting as he done like. Oh, Roderick Strong likes backbreakers. That's kind of the, you know, that's kind of a one-on-one about Roderick Strong at this point. That's all. <laughs> that anyone... was basically Al- Roderick Strong's character yeah. for maybe his entire career. <laughs> so, yeah, honestly, kind of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know NXT did some nice, like, personal stuff about him, but really, even when he got more charismatic and he was known as a great wrestler, it was still mostly backbreakers and he's the guy who says bra backstage before matthew riddle <laughs> like it's like i just remember a lot when i think of uh, roddick strong as a character i think of um chuck taylor and excalibur on pwg commentary constantly doing roddick strong impressions of like gonna get some beers after the show bra like just saying that over and over again like that's the character of, of roddick strong to me well, I, I had two uh, run-ins with Roderick Shaw back in the day when I was uh, doing um, when I was going to ROH a lot, like involving me holding the door open for him coming in and out of rooms. And he never called me bra. At one point, he called me buddy, and the other time, he called me dude. <laughs> Aw, that's nice of him. Yeah. Uh, cut to somewhere else backstage with the prophecy. Allison Danger tells Dan Moth that he should be proud of himself and that Chris would be of him. Whitmer says he doesn't like Moth and he doesn't like... He doesn't like Moth, and Moth doesn't like him, but Ring of Honor has no choice but to give them another shot at the tag team titles. Moth says he doesn't like BJ, that's right, and he calls him a redneck son of a bitch. But he says for one hour tonight, they held the Ring of Honor tag team titles, and he wants to do it again. That's how the show ends. So yeah, that, you know, it, like guys were saying before, a lot of setup here for the next show, because we'll get the tag title match and the Joe Homicide rematch. But that brings us to the end of the show, and I have some comments from The Torch, because this was during the period when The Torch reviewed every Ring of Honor show until fans told them they were sick of it. Uh, Bruce Mitchell gave this a 6 out of 10. I'll read Bruce's notes here, because I always thought Bruce's notes were a little bit off, because obviously he wasn't that in touch with the scene. Bruce writes... First, the production values. The good news is Mark Nolte gives a boost to the already improving announce crew. The bad news is the show has slipped toward a more cable access look. There are too many dark shots. The lighting and sound levels are also slightly off. Hopefully this is temporary as Ring of Honor works its way through this transition. This Ring of Honor offering has the same strengths and weaknesses as all but the top tapes. Lots of hard work. 
Lots of consistently innovative work and lots of stiff shots make this show worth seeing. This show, maybe because of the round-robin challenge format, has the indie show problem. That is, maybe the wrestlers on the undercard don't make that much money, so they all get paid in push instead of cash. Everybody, including the ring crew, has a gimmick and a storyline. Um, it, it, and a manager. It's too much to keep up with in one show. If everyone is a star, no one is a star. This show had two tag title changes, and hardcore Ricky Steamboat destruction all before intermission. It reached its nadir in the sloppy six-man challenge, a spot fest that wouldn't make TNA impact. Matt, I thought that was kind of harsh, and well, I would agree about it being too much to follow. I would, ag- I would agree with you, and not him, about it. Um, I do not think it was too much to follow. Um, I actually... This show was way better than I expected, and way better than I remembered. Like, it's not like it was a great show. It was a B show still, um, setting up the next one. But I thought it was, like, very solid from start to finish. It had that one really, really terrible thing with Josh Daniels and, um, uh, and, Diz- and Dixie and Ox Baker. But a lot of good matches. A lot of good, like, setup and character development and stuff. They clearly, like, th- when a show like this is as good as it is, this is a good period for ROH. I guess that's what I would say. It's indicative that ROH is just doing a good job in booking overall because this show shouldn't have been as enjoyable as it was, in my opinion. Uh, Hello? I was going to say, I don't, I don't know what you think, but that's sort of my, my stance on that. Um, I, I completely agree. This show was better than I remember. I was kind of not looking forward to watching this show, even though I'm kind of looking forward to every show just because I think it's always interesting to rewatch and revisit, especially with the podcast. But I remember this show being worse than it is. This is actually one of the more entertaining B shows I think we've seen in a while where nothing quite approaches that you've got to see it four star up range, but there's at least two or three matches that get right. Uh, notch up below that and nothing on the show is really bad other than like a five minute weird ox baker segment which is at least memorable and yeah it built up a lot guys did different moves we saw like definitely some signs of what we heard in the newsletters at the time which was that gabe's booking was going to focus more on heels versus faces we got to see more interference like i, I thought this was just a good show. It's a show that feels it, it feels like the company has a very set direction. It's going. It's got a lot of pots, you know, on the on the stove, and everything was watchable to good. So, to me, that's that's a, a big win and better than I thought. It's not something I would say you have if you're on a limited budget or or limited on time. This is not nearly on the top half of my list of shows you need to watch from this era, but it, it's not a bad watch at all. Joe, what'd you think about it live? What'd you think about it 15 years later? Uh, I remember having a great time live at this show and it's, the show's kind of in a, a weird spot. It's sandwiched between two pretty monumental shows and company history and there's nothing excellent on it. So it's a little like, there's no super match, like you said. So it's a little hard to recommend in that, but I had a great time watching the show. It was like the, the like you said, the one back set segment lasts like five minutes Everything else is, it's a real breeze of a watch with a lot of good stuff on it. So, you know, if you never seen it and you can obtain it, it's, it's worth a look. Yeah. And, uh, that brings us to the end of the show. If you want to contact me and Matt with anything about the show through the years at gmail.com, that's T H R O H, or you can reach us at Twitter because I'm at 
at Trevor Dame. Matt's at at Mayor MGF. And we have threads on the Pro Wrestling Only board, Voices of Wrestling board. Joe, what would you want to plug? Oh, boy. Uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Joe Gagne, G-H-E-N-E. I will have a new five-star match game coming up soon uh, on WCW, the Monday Nitro years. So mm-hmm. that'll be hopefully be recording in a little bit. I just need to find a third contestant. Maybe it'll be Trevor or Matt, but probably not. Uh, probably not. <laughs> probably <laughs> the uh, long-awaited return of the Funtime Arcade is in the works. I'm almost done with SmackDown. Here comes the pain. It's going to be a pretty huge review, probably our biggest to date. So be on the lookout for that. And I think that is it for me. I just rewatched some Joe Gagne Funtime Arcades in the last week. For some reason, they just randomly popped up in my feed. And I ended up getting sucked into like a 40-minute hole of like rewatching. Oh, I remember that one. I remember that one. I just it's it, they're they're a deceptively easy way to like because they're all not that long they're a deceptively easy way to like lose a half an hour to an hour of your time when you're not expecting it well they're well, they're also like extremely entertaining like wow how well made are they they're so good yeah they're i mean like much more production value better production values put into them than this but um next time on the through the years i almost forgot the name of the podcast i am doing um We'll be covering Generation Next, which is going to have the big Joe Homicide rematch. It's going to have the formation of Generation Next, one of the biggest uh, independent wrestling stables of the last of ever, I guess. And it's, yes, it's going to be under a tent. So we will talk about that, too. One of the the most legendary shows in ROH history, I would say. So uh, I'm looking forward to it very much. And, uh, Joe, I want to thank you again for doing the show. And... Yeah, thank you everybody for waiting a little longer for this episode. Thank you for listening in. So until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.